The world always has an original, whether it is in art or whether it is in every day. What happens if this is replicated and remade? Does it live up to the original? The Literary License Podcast explores the world of the original and remake as we explore and see if the remake truly stands up to the original. With your hosts Joe Randazzo, John Wilson, Vicki Ray, and Keith Chago, where they ask the question, does the remake live up to the original? Welcome to the True License Podcast, and this make Remake Week, we'll be discovering two films, the original and the remake. And this week, we're covering Scarface from 1932 and Scarface from 1983. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us today. We got David Cavallo with us. Hello, David. Hi, good evening. And we got Joe Radazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. And we got Menopausal Vicky with us. Hello, Vicky. <laughs> I'm post-menopausal, but hello. <laughs> And I'm your host, Keith Shago. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Vix. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Not a whole lot. Just just putting out fires. Um, I don't know if you guys heard of this yet. I didn't start watching it. I think it was on Hulu. Anybody start watching Damien? No, I didn't even hear it. It's a new series about, I think it's what happens after. I haven't started it. I was just wondering if anybody started it yet. But, uh, it looks good. It looks good. I think it falls what along the lines of the Chucky thing, huh? What happens after what? With da- I mean, Damien. I think Elman it's Damien. after. I think it. What's what happens when he's grown up and he's after the presidency and all that? I I believe that. But he dies happens. at the end of the third one. I don't know. I don't know. That's he I, gets I killed. I don't know if gets, this is pre or after. That's why I was asking. Okay. I just have to go through know. it. And it's like oh. Damien, the Omen, and I think it's. Huh. it's sequel type kind of series I, didn't, I had no idea this existed no neither did no, i just no. about 10 minutes ago so i have no idea what it's about but i thought i'd pick y'all's brains on that mm. and i finished finally into the darkness part three i hope they make mm. a part four because they can't end it like that there's so much more to cover love love, love. <coughs> if you like the horror movies fan of the genre it's a mu- it's definitely got to be a must see all three parts and it's like 12 what 12 or 13 hours of um the f- f- 15 hours all together yeah they're about five hours each i didn't realize there was a third one yeah, yeah it came out two weeks ago oh, yeah boy. and i watched the founder it was kind of a different thing from what i'm watching it's about how uh the, the how mcdonald's got founded of all things michael keaton you know found these two guys they had the the, the way they were making burgers and how they got them out and everything else really quick he really screwed those two guys whoever bought the mcdonald's chain <laughs> they gave both a million dollars. That's all they got. <laughs> just the, the rest is history. But I watched my anxiety attack movie of the month, 47 meters down, where those girls are stuck <laughs> in that cage with the yeah. sharks. They can't get back up. I was that that kind of stuff just makes that that was well done. I'm if you got anxiety or you got fear of closed places and shit like that, that's definitely for you. And Netflix had a really good um, documentary out on the Night Stalker. I wish they would make more of those because I really enjoyed that. He was a crazy son of a gun. <laughs> that guy was I, evil incarnate. I almost was at that hotel, uh, not realizing it. <coughs> I mean, obviously, this is many years after after Ramirez. But I was planning a trip to L.A. and uh, I I was using my laptop at work. And my manager walks over and she looks over my shoulder. She's like, hey, what, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, I'm planning, uh, planning this trip to L.A. And I found this hotel. It's only $29 a night. 
Can you believe that? Uh, the hotel that Ramirez was working out of when he was killing all. No the- shit! <laughs> oh my god, I would so stay there though. I mean, I I look for rooms. If they say it's haunted, I go which room. I well, want I'll, I'll tell you the deal breaker for me in a minute because uh, uh, this was during the time when that girl Elisa Lamb disappeared. Was uh, that the Roosevelt Hotel? No, no, the the same hotel, the Cecil Hotel. Except she, oh, they the found Cecil. her. Oh, okay. They okay. found her. They found her in the water tower. This is the hotel. That's right. Okay, I got you now. But I mean, even that, like, didn't what, what what got me the deal breaker for me was uh, apparently they have one bathroom per floor. Oh fuck that! I've stayed so, in yeah, places like, like that. I'm staying in a if I'm staying in a hotel, I am not sharing my bathroom with everyone else on the floor. You There's could one have- shower per floor, one bathroom per floor. Fuck oh, no. that! I stayed yeah, in places but, but like you, that. But, but you could have brushed you could have brushed your teeth with lamb water. <laughs> We had a, we, they did give us a sink though. We had a sink in our room. I would go to the New Jersey shore and stay for the summer and work. And you had to share, it was a boarding house. You had to share the whole down. Everybody, everybody was sick and vomiting the night before and used the same bathroom, you know, Wildwood, New Jersey, crazy eighties time. But yeah, I didn't like that. I want my own bathroom, damn it. like that's a deal breaker uh, there, was a, there was a movie about a maiden like i think the 80s or 90s and robert zadar is in it i haven't seen it uh, I, he gave me a copy long long ago before he passed obviously he didn't give right. it to me either. but uh yeah i gotta i gotta eventually check that out the ramirez story has always been interesting it's intriguing i don't well, know why but he, was, he wasn't he bachelor number two in the dating game that was <laughs> the other one that. who was that who was oh, that, that wasn't him I don't no, know it wasn't him. It was. it was somebody else. Now I gotta look that oh, okay. up while y'all are talking. Because you ended up being a serial killer as well. Didn't he you? was a serial killer, and he was on the dating game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember which one it was. So I guess Vicky's Bachelor. looking that up now. Bachelor number two. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, so Dave? Serial killer. Oh, it was yeah. Rodney Alcala. I don't know which one that was. I... Was an American serial killer. Let's see, Rodney James. Hmm. He was born in San Antonio. Was there a serial was... killer on the dating game? Yeah, I think I, I, thought was, I, thought was... I don't know this guy. Okay, I thought it was Ramirez. Oh, bad now, ones. I, well, they've got a picture of Ramirez here too, but he looks like Ramirez, kinda. You know, it's, it surprises me how some of these serial killers are actually good-looking guys who like. How did you issues. end up? How did you well, end up? It makes with... it, but that's the. I mean, the thing is, is. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I know they always find the weirdest photos, you know, whether it's of Charles Manson or whoever. And then that's what they publicize. The thing is, they can't look like that every day because no one would ever get in the car with them. <laughs> well, they true. always they look them. like they never bathe. I mean, look at Jeffrey Dahmer. Did that guy ever take a bath? Well, I mean, I mean, Ted Bundy, you're fine as long as you didn't have a center parting. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> If he had a center parting. He let, he only killed girls with center partings. Like, I don't okay. know. I don't know if I'd be. I don't know in today's day. I would. Mean, somebody said, "Please help me get my shit in my car." So you know, I and it's and they got his cast on. It's like, nope, you're you're on your own, dude. <laughs> Not helping you, yeah. shit. <laughs> so much for humanitarianism. So what have you been up to, David? Last time we spoke to you. Um, unfortunately, not much. Um, the usual. I do apologize for my voice. I'm a bit sick today. Oh, no. <clears throat> yeah, it, it is what it is. I think I might got it from my brother. Um, uh, no much going what on. You do, what were you doing with your brother? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> no, well, no. <laughs> um, we were. Got that look on his face. I told y'all. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, so we were playing uh, a very old video game called Crush uh, Crush Bandicoot. I don't know if you know it. Yes. Oh, yes. oh my God. Yeah. My experience. I love Crush Bandicoot. <laughs> and then that, that's probably how I got sick. We spent quite a lot of time together because um, uh, the end of this month he's moving with his girlfriend. So at least we're spending a little bit of time together. And I managed to catch up <laughs> a bit on Charmed and Angel because I need to finish uh, those ones. And I've been watching two Disney movies I never watched. One is called Onwards, and one is called Luca. I don't know if you watch them as well. Quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Oh, yes, and I marathoned a, um, an animation on Netflix called Keep on the Age of Wonder Beasts. That's literally three seasons. I don't know if you watch that. I love animations. Um, yeah. I haven't heard of that one, but I meant, meant, meant to say everybody needs to start watching The Last of Us. Good, good, good. I need to watch The Last of Us. You do? Well. It's great. What about yourself, yeah, Sam? What are you about to? Uh, well, uh, Sean, who's my roommate, he's on the Batman series with us. He's been out of town since Monday. So most of what I've been doing this week is I pulled like all the stuff that's like cluttering up my bedroom out into the hallway and I'm reorganizing everything so I could actually like move around in there a little better. Like I pulled everything out of my closet and I'm looking through stuff. I found a bunch of VHS tapes. I'm like, what the hell am I still doing with these? I don't even have a VCR. Those are scary. Remember back in the days, is it VHS or is it porn? <laughs> you just never know what you were getting from VHS back then. <laughs> Yeah, I pulled a bunch of stuff out, and, I, and actually, my the hallway leading up to my bedroom is just lined with just stuff that I've pulled out of my closets and just pulled off my floor and just putting. I'm just stacking them up in the closet uh, in the uh, the hallway while I've been getting into my bedroom and like cleaning everything, like everything that I can get to. And it's because you know Sean's been gone for a couple of days, so I'm able to just kind of pull everything out and dead. get in, get in there, and get everything done. You know, because otherwise, you know, I'm blocking his view, you know, his his ability to get to and from places. So that's most of what's been taking up my week. God, you know, it's adulting when your roommate's out of town and you're like, oh, I'm cleaning. Oh, yeah, yeah but it's a good out. thing oh, yeah. that once you get all your stuff organized, it's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. Well, normally, oh, okay. normally yeah, so when I get. Nor if I get the house by myself, I just walk around in my underwear for the whole week. <laughs> we oh, do that here too. I'm not in priorities. Priorities, I guess. And, 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 I, and, and, and I don't even know what a shower is when, when I've got the house to myself. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Nobody's around. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I've been, um, I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching, I've been doing a, a daily uh, noir film challenge in February, and I've been doing a weekly one that's going to be taking I've up the whole that. year. You since have some February. Really good day. Yeah, yesterday I just did a, I just did a dump of all the, all the reviews that I've been doing. And I've actually I noticed some, that. It's like, whoa, Joe's been busy. I see. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I mean, th I, those are actually the dates that I watched them. I just didn't really write them up. But yesterday when I was, uh, when I was at work, uh, uh yesterday i was just like oh let me just post all these um so i've been watching like one one movie a day and then i, I watched uh, the two scarfaces uh i was waiting for your tribute to raquel welch i mean it wasn't much it was just you know um but yeah i, just I told you up. how she died don't be mean <laughs> 
She was floating around inside um, Keith Richards' body in her little spaceship, and then a white blood cell ate her. Was she in that movie? <laughs> yes, Fantastic Voyage, yeah, she was. Oh, my God, how did I forget that? What is she, 82 just doesn't seem old anymore. Well, apparently she was still in uh, in decent health, and then just, like, it all happened at once. Like, she just got sick, and that's it. Uh, when you get older, that's sadly what happens, you know, like a fall or something or. Yeah, something that would normally be okay to people. She was age. still beautiful, like Sophia Loren. I mean, those those women just, it, they aged well. <laughs> they aged really well. That's what I was telling somebody yesterday. I was like, she was still really, really good looking. She was still a very beautiful woman. That's, so, just like, that's like hearts were breaking all across the world. Because I, I mean, honestly, I don't know anybody. There was one guy said, who? And I go, what? I go, did you grow up on this planet? I go, did you, I go, what happened to you during puberty? I mean, really seriously? You don't I know mean, that is. Depending on how young you are, like, yeah. there's a possibility you have no idea who she is. Like, I just if assume I, that most people know who the Hollywood basic staples were for back then, I guess, maybe. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I, you'd assume wrong now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm amazed sometimes with uh, names that I drop around younger people I work with, and they're like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, wait, you don't know who Mel Gibson is? His son is up and coming. Do you see his son's making movies now? I, I didn't know his son was working. He's, he's the he's the spitting image of Mel. But I, I brought up Mel Gibson to, to someone at work, and they were like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, you don't know who Mel Gibson is? <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, I, I get, you know, not, you know, not going into his, his views on the Holocaust and stuff. I get that, but you don't know like he, that he's an actor. You don't know that he's one of the, the biggest stars in the history of movies. Like, yeah, well, they probably, they probably would know stuff like, I mean, I guess you all, I guess if I was going to explain Mel Gibson, I'd say Braveheart. Braveheart, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, there you go. Braveheart. What is another big um, one? I mean, Raquel, well, I mean, Raquel, well, should we say like the poster in Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. yeah. Well, which is the poster for 1 million years BC. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I got know. confused. They had that ten thousand BC that came out in twenty sixteen, I think. Oh, that's got nothing reason. to do with anything. Nothing yeah, to that's... do with it. Nothing absolutely. I thought they tried to do a reboot of that for some reason. Uh, there, but the, the the Raquel Welch movie is a remake. It's a remake right. of a version with uh, Victor Mature and a, was it Carol yes. Lombard? Yeah, I don't know if it was Carol Lombard. Uh, I don't think it was Carol. I think it might have been. He used to, she used to get paired a lot with Angela Lansbury back in the day. Well, you know, I mean, oh, uh, and oh, we know how much Keith loves Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Angela Lansbury's not dead. She just turned into um, Paul McCartney. That's why you don't see Paul McCartney and Angela Lansbury in the same room together. They look oh, same. 1966. That's the cast was Raquel Welch version. That's that's, oh, that's Carol, yeah. Uh, it was Carol Landis, not Carol Lombard. I just okay. Up. There you were. Okay. Carol Landis and Lon Chaney Jr. I mean, it yeah, wasn't the, great on it, neither neither ver, neither versions really great on script anyway. <laughs> well, I don't think the I think the whole point was to look. There's at no dialogue in either one of them. The poster alone sold. I, I mean, how many tickets? Oh, yeah. Because it's oh, her. Yeah. I mean, you know that if you thought that she wasn't beautiful, I don't care what what you're into. Then you have issues, serious issues. Well, I'm oh, yeah. sure that that Raquel Welch probably inspired um, Linda Harrison's role in Planet of the Apes. Nova, probably, yeah. Oh, no kidding! I didn't think of that. That that's really mm. smart. 
And Hammer, no, Hammer awesome. was smart about it. They tried to make a, they tried to uh, to do a version of like a, like the sequels to it with uh, uh, Martin Beswick, I think, was in one of them. Um, mm. God, who was the other one? The other the other blonde that they that they used a lot was it Veronica Carlson? No, Victoria Vetri. Victoria Vetri was in uh, one of the one of the other dinosaur movies they made. None of them ever. Damn, Joe, you're a walking encyclopedia. You know that, right? That's why I never got into the good schools. I wasted my brain cells on this shit. You know, I don't know if the school, (laughs) I don't know if having the degree means anything. (laughs) I could probably, I could have probably been a lawyer or a doctor if I applied this knowledge. You probably know more about, about, about cinema and film than any person on the planet I know. So. What, what? What? Yeah, one person I work with said that I for, that said that I probably forgot more about movies than most people though. And he was a very cute baby. Look him up on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was that was something. I just was scrolling. You through. were so cute. Yeah. Like, oh, let me post this. Uh, it's it's a, it, it is funny, but yeah, um, actually, yeah. There was a there was a release of uh, God the Victoria Vetri one which I forget when dinosaurs ruled the earth about 10, 15 years ago. Is that the ones with the claymation? They all had claymation. But yeah. yeah, I'm but, trying to uh, remember it, which one it was because I know that right. they in the like British, Ray, Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, in the British version, there's topless scenes in it. Why uh, the I mean, British? Is here the British are upset about Hollywood nasties and they have more tits and ass in those films than anybody else. But in we the don't, US, we don't we don't have we don't have a problem with sex. They have a problem with violence in this country. But in the U.S., they released that movie cutting out Victoria Vetri's topless scenes. When Warner Brothers put it out on DVD about 15 years ago, they put a G rating on it because they thought they were putting the American version on the DVD. And parents were outraged, so they bought this G-rated dinosaur movie that they thought that they could watch with their kids, and Victoria Vetri's topless in it. So they had to recall a bunch of them, no, or all of them, no. and then re-release it. But I, I, I had the version of it that had the G rating, and I again, I don't know what I moved from Brooklyn to LA, to Chicago to New Jersey to LA to Chicago. I don't know where the fuck it is. I moved <laughs> so, a lot when I was in my twenties. I couldn't tell you where half the places I lived were back then. Well, it's been mainly between three cities for me, so it's. You're always it's looking pretty, for something, chasing your tail when you're in your 20s, or I'm chasing get, tail, whichever you prefer. I'm getting too old for it. I want to give LA one more try, but I gotta, I gotta, you know, just to see if I could finally break through again. But who knows when that's going to be? COVID kind of slowed that down because I had the money set aside for it, but then yeah, I think COVID threw the monkey wrench in a lot of people's plans. Tell you, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but you'll get there. I have faith in you. So yeah, well, that's basically been it, just mainly cleaning. <laughs> well, I've had the week off, so basically I've been watching Little People, Big World on a loop, and I'm in season eight now. Little People, Big World. Yeah, it's a midget family, and they have like um, they have a midget ch- they the, a midget mom and dad and a midget right. son. The and kids are all three. taller, right? Yeah, that's it. Oh my God, I was so, I would fuck with my parents. (laughs) Or sorry, little people. (laughs) Sorry if you're offended, if you're a midget out there. Sorry. Even even though they're offended by dwarfs, even though they suffer from dwarfism, which is very interesting. (laughs) 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 But I don't know. Um, So I've been watching that in a loop. So that's been quite interesting. And then I've I've been watching um, 
Fucci's um, Gates of Hell trilogy. So I watched the first two. Never heard of that. Never heard of that one. It's um, City of the Dead, uh, The Beyond, and A House Next to Cemetery. Oh, I've watched all those. For some reason, I thought you said it was a series. Okay. Yeah, no, though they're part of a trilogy. The the Gates of Hell trilogy. So it's it's kind of an unofficial trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the oh, Beyond, so. I love The Beyond. I think The Beyond is one of the best horror movies ever made. Because just, just I still think City, City of the Dead fucked me up when I was a kid. I yeah. love it. I just love, I mean, though, I mean, doesn't the music and the way it's filmed, I mean, God is, I mean, especially now that they're cleaned up, because I mean, before when they were on VHS and all that kind of stuff, you didn't realize, you know, they were kind of in the US. Pan- they're pen and scanned but when you watch them when you watch them now that they're all you know now they've been cleaned up and they're on blu-ray and dvd and it's amazing they're they're beautiful they're beautifully looking films it's amazing we can thank quentin tarantino for that quentin tarantino uh, did a lot to restore the beyond Mm. but in the u.s they cut out the score uh but who did the scores was, was it claudio simonetti or was it or was it fabio frizzi i don't remember but the score is fantastic on the original version the u.s version they they cut out the score and replace it with like some generic shit um they cut they toned down the violence uh it was released here as the seven doors to hell or seven doors of hell or something like that yeah, i have yeah, with, was right. that with robert de niro no okay. beyond no oh i thought you were talking about the score okay uh no no the beyond um which is uh just a fantastic horror movie one of, one of my favorite like super, supernatural zombie movies it's really good. yeah okay yeah it's really a lot of fun it is the gates of hell trilogy why didn't i know it was called i just watched the movie because it's not officially that like they the movies don't actually like uh, you know what Maybe Keith would know better. Keith watched all three of them recently. Uh, Do they they connect at all? I don't remember that. They connect on the simple fact that there's these three gates of hell in the world in the States. And so basically each of them gets opened up. And it's a bit like um, Tears of the Mother. Like Suspiria and um, and Tears of the Mother. Even though they're connected, they're not really connected. Oh, they're all on Tubi, too. That gives me an idea to watch them this weekend. Oh, uh, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolarama 2 is on. Oh, my God. Uh, I I better kill this light because it's about to burn out. Uh, Slimeball Bolarama, awesome stuff. The original one was. I don't don't know how good this new one's going to be, but I'll check it out. Oh, no. Please tell me they aren't. They did? I sent you the trailer last night. I don't know. I I didn't get a chance to watch that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. On sometimes TV we get to talking so much in those and sending links back and forth. I miss one. And also, uh, we're talking about uh, Full Moon. Congratulations to Justin Martell, Matt Mangeridis, uh and Ted Nicolau. Uh, they're doing or uh, Subspecies 5 is coming out soon. It's going to go to Full Moon and then it's going to go to Tubi like everything else Full Moon does. But that's um, I, love I love that love series. I love them for that. I love TV. Uh, I'm thankful that a couple of years ago they sent me the screenplay and asked for my thoughts on it. So That's great. thank you for that, guys. I, I did actually enjoy the screenplay as it was written. I don't remember sending back many notes. So if it's a screen, if they filmed the screenplay that I read, then it's going to be a real treat. Because I that when they sent it to me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch the, the the previous four movies and then dig into to to read. When did it. they say it was coming out, Joe? They haven't announced a date yet. Okay, just that it's coming okay. out. It's ready though. It's made. 
Um, it'll be coming out very, very soon. The trailer dropped a couple of weeks ago. So look out for that on Tubi or if you're... Uh, I love uh, Tubi. They've got an excellent catalog. The Full Moon's uh, streaming service and see it faster there. I don't know what the time frame is as far as when it goes to Full Moon and when it moves over. Anybody watch Joe Bob last Friday? I did. <laughs> we don't we don't get joe bob here so it's uh it's the same people behind joe bob's uh, last drive that produced it by the way so uh produced a new subspecies um i i've never seen phantom of the mall eric's revenge i really really enjoyed that uh it was just cheesy 80s horror fun um for a long time i thought it was meant to be a sequel to like phantom of the paradise or something just because of the the similar poster art and then i realized no this is not related to anything when i finally watched it um i thought it was like somebody made a sequel to a de palma movie so that i, that I watched never... the one with head of the family in it i can never forget that ever again head, <laughs> that was great that head of the family the head was awesome i'm sorry Sometimes CGI just sucks balls. I like that shit, though. I, I, I like practical effects a lot better, too. Well, what was the second feature with that one? I don't remember. Wasn't it Necromantic? No, not that one. Necromantic was last ne- Necromantic was last week. The head of the family one. I'm trying to remember what the second stepfather, feature was. Stepfather, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It might have been the stepfather. Maybe. Or the stepfather. No, because I remember the stepfather being a, being a first feature, too. Now, this is going to kill me. <laughs> um, I, I did watch. I, I did not... I finally watched Necromantic. I was going to do the podcast here for it, but then I... You were um, the ones that was going to cancel on us because you didn't want to, right? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Oh, was it, was it March Madness? Was that why I canceled on March Madness? I think you had to work. I know that. Yeah, when March Madness rolls around, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to get the time off, but it's also uh, money shifts, so... Hey, you got to make that money. Oh, uh, Habit was the second movie. That was um, directed by Larry Fessenden. Fessenden. I can never say yeah. his name. It was Larry Fessenden. That was and the it did win the Independent Spirit, someone to watch award. So. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Was that, the, was that the Valentine's Day episode last year or was that something else? That was, well, that was. Oh, that was just whatever one you watched this week for. Yeah, for last week. But I thought that wasn't his Valentine's one. Was for- no, that, that's an older episode. I don't remember when that one aired. Oh, okay. But it was Head of the Family. I don't. I, I missed that episode, and I ended up watching it. And it was so creepy, weird, right down to the fours and the spots on the face. I mean, oh, Yeah, the, the, the Valentine's episode this year was Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, and um, Necromantic. Uh, uh, Necromantic. So, yeah. <laughs> the commentary <laughs> <laughs> well they actually married somebody during during the segments yeah so. i missed that part i gotta go back and rewatch some of that i did watch a really good film called bullet train with i um, like brad, bullet train with brad pitt um it's quite weird because i've been i was given the trilogy to read because it's the second part of a trilogy right the first part being um i think it was the goldfish um which is a japanese film but um, yeah, I thought, I mean, I read the book, I had to read the three books and gave reviews for them two year, two, three years ago. So it was really good, actually. And it's, it's quite good seeing like Ryan Reynolds and Michael Shannon and Ch- um, t- um, Tatum, Chan Tatum. Yeah, name. got a great little little bit in there. I didn't know Michael Shannon was even in it. So when he pops up, I was just dying. I loved it so much. I, I had heard it was terrible. 
So I when know, I finally I got a funny. chance to see it, I was like, what is everybody complaining about? I was trying to figure out what they were doing with Channing, though. <laughs> it's just like he was so messed up. He was doing a piece of work, wasn't he? I mean, it's a dumb, you know, it's a dumb action movie. Like, well, what fun. did you think it was going to be? What were you expecting Bullet Train to be? I and that don't bag, understand. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it is, it's basically scene for scene from the book. Oh, it is. Yeah, the book. The book was, was a, on the book. book um, the book when it was released sold um, twenty five million copies within okay. three weeks. You know, in Japan and um, in Europe. So, so, um, but so it's a really good book. So, but it was good, good to see like the matchup. So, yeah, good for them. And, and, and you know, like it's fun. Like don't you know. I don't understand what the people who dislike it dislike about it. Like it, it's it, it made its money back though. Watch it. Yeah, uh, oh, that's enough. a good I think, thing too. I think they made it. They made it for like thirty-five million or something like that. It made something like three hundred and fifty million. Good. So it did do well. Good. Yeah. good, good, good. I'm glad it did. I'm glad something is doing well that isn't, you know, uh, a Marvel. Is, film. is it like yeah? Is it like a Marvel film? You know, I mean, I, I nothing against Marvel films making that kind of money. I'm glad something else is making that kind of yeah, money. Yeah, uh, exactly. Apparently, um, there's not going to be another Black Panther film, is there? Because the other one didn't do very well. Oh, no, did it not well, do well? Did anyone? Not that I saw. That not it. Not, it's it went, I mean, it's so much straight to Disney Plus here. I don't. It did here too. It did here too. No, it, it played theaters here. Um, it played theaters. Yeah, it played the theater theaters. for for like two weeks here, and then what? It did. It didn't do well like the oh. other, and yeah. it is on Disney Plus. Well, I mean, Chadwick mm. Boseman's dead. Yeah, I know. I mean, Angela Bassett got nominated for an Oscar for it, so. Yeah, but that's that like Jeepers Creepers Reborn sucks, but well, the Salvo would make it though. So we all know what that I, is. <laughs> I've never seen. I've never seen any of those. I've heard the first one is apparently tremendous. What Jeepers I've Creepers? Seen, I've never I, seen any of them. I the love the first and second. The first and second one is really good. So, um, so that that you know that child uh, that pedophile makes very good salvo movies, but when, when he's not making them unfortunately kind of go down well it tells the, the pedo didn't make the third one so it kind of sucked that he wasn't yeah, there and he didn't but make he the fourth one little, either do a little <laughs> stint the slammer I, I don't know if we'll say it sucks that he wasn't there it's just filmmaking wise apparently it just sucks that he didn't good. make the film it sucks i mean that i hate to say it but his films are his films are decent though i like powder I do remember seeing Powder when I was Powder younger. Powder was weird. And and Clown House. I've never seen Clown House, but uh, I, it was actually kind of funny because one night, uh, one night Sean was flipping through and he's like, "Oh, it's a killer clown movie called Clown House." And I, oh, that's the Victor Salva movie. He goes, "Which one?" I'm like that one, the yeah. one, <laughs> the one, the movie, the one that the one that got him jail time. Yeah, the one where it all happened that his, you know, the, he would think these guys movie. would know. Not to do that. It just don't do it. I know. At least, at least it wait until you win an Oscar and then you can get away with it. I know. <laughs> you know, do 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 the Weinstein thing a bit. Yeah, precisely. Got got to win before before you can do anything sexually ov- overtly. You need to make sure you win an Oscar. Then after that, and that you're best friends with Oprah. First, you get the power. Then you get the sex. Yeah. And then you get to be friends with Oprah. To paraphrase the movie we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about later.
in saying that, that brings us to Scarface from 1932, which is also known as Scarface, The Shame of the Nation, and The Shame of the Nation. It's a 1932 American pre-code gangster film directed by Howard Hawks and produced by Hawks and Howard Hughes. The screenplay by Ben Heck is based loosely on the 1929 novel by Armitage Trail, which was inspired by Al Capone. The film stars Paul Mooney as an Italian immigrant gangster, Antonio Tony Camote, a gangster who finally rises through Chicago gangland with a supporting cast that includes George Raff and Boris Karloff. Camote's rise to power dovetails with his relentless pursuit of his boss's mistress, while his own sister pursues his best hitman. In an overtly tied to the life of Capone, one scene depicts a version of the Santi, the Saint, sorry, depicts a version of the St. Vincent Day's Massacre. After hey, Hughes purchased nice the rights to Trail's novel, Hughes quickly selected Hawks to direct and Heck to write the film's screenplay. Beginning in January 1931, Heck wrote the script over an 11-day period. Scarface was produced before the introduction of the production code in 1934, which enforced regulations on film content. However, the phase code a more lenient precursor called for major alterations, including a prologue condemning gangsters, an alternative ending to a more clearly reprehended Kamoti, and an alternative title, The Shame of a Nation. Dissenters believe the film glorified violence and crime. These changes delayed the film by a year, though some showings retained the original ending. Modern showings of the film have the original ending, though some DVD releases also include the alternative ending. Audience reception was positive for censors banned the film in several cities and states, forcing Hughes to remove it from circulation and stored in his vault. The rights to the film were recovered from, from after Hughes' death in the 1970s, alongside Little Caesar and The Public Enemy, both 1931. Scarface is regarded as one of the most significant and influential gangster films of all time. Scarface was added to the National Film Registry in 1994 by the Library of Congress. In 2008, the American Film Institute listed Scarface as the sixth best gangster film of all time, and it was remade, as we'll see, from the 1983 film of the same title starring Al Pacino. So we're going to do a cut to the trailer of Scarface from 1932, and be right back. Scarface. In the 1920s, the United States was reeling under the impact of prohibition. The sale of whiskey, wine, and beer was prohibited by law, but there were many willing to break that law. Gangsters took over. Crime flourished. Mobs fought each other for prime territories. There's no use arguing with this joint. Ziegler runs it himself. Step on it. And blood flowed in the streets. Hitman. That was a fine job, Tony. Remember, that's only chicken feed. You stepped in the big company. To gang boss. This is the story of Scarface Tony Carmonte, his lust for power, for fancy women. Don't work too hard. I just finish up tonight. Now I play a while. His drive to be number one. Next time I cut you in a place like that again, I'll kill you. You're telling me what to do. What I do is tell it's my business. Starring Paul Muni as Scarface, and Vorak, George Raft, and Karen Morley. The crime scenes in this film are based on events that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't you know it's Valentine's Day? Amante, kill Ronaldo. Put up a fight when they try to take him and hold up on that steel board of his. Get him. by Howard Hughes, directed by Howard Hawks, Scarface. Hello, welcome back to Legalize the Podcast. We're discussing Scarface from 1932, and starting with you, Joe, what are your thoughts on Scarface from 1932? Well, I, uh, when we covered uh, uh, King Kong last year, I cited... Scarface is one of the movies alongside King Kong that kind of changed cinema in general and just completely, uh, completely changed the game. And I think the third movie I mentioned was The Public Enemy. Um, This movie is way ahead of its time in terms of the the style of storytelling. Um, It gets away from that that drawing room talky thing that a lot of movies uh you know earlier on were um were suffering from the early days of the talkie and just performance wise uh paul muni um he's amazing i I, when i when i was re-watching it the other night i i was texting keith and vicky and i said it's amazing you can't take your eyes off of Paul Muni when he's on camera. He's yeah. he absolutely owns every frame he's in. He stole and this the is the show for sure. I mean, it's his show to begin with. Uh, yeah. I'm amazed that, that uh he didn't get another Oscar nomination for this one. He got it for um uh, I'm a fugitive and um I'm a fugitive in a chain gang, but he didn't get one for this, which really, really shocks me. Didn't you uh, tell me this is why the Hayes at this was one of the movies that yeah, that yeah, the Hayes Code was uh you know because we can't have anything nice right uh, <laughs> uh the the movies the you know the violence in this movie is like is not like anything else that they'd seen at that point i guess pretty violent for 1932 though don't you yeah. think I mean, if you watch the public enemy that's the that's the other one that right. like has like this level of violence little caesar does a little bit but not not to the extent of those two um but yeah, I totally agree that uh, Keith was saying something, name this the sixth greatest gangster movie ever made. Right. I would put it in the top 10. Um, it's very tight too. That's the other thing about it. Um, it's what, like 93 minutes or something like that. So it is just, there's like no room uh, for, for any, uh, you know, any bullshit, any, everything is just straight into the story every frame matters because that's just what, you know, the, the time, uh, you know, the time of this movie needed and God, Howard Hawks at this point. Um, God, I, I really should like make bullet points for myself. Uh, Cause I don't know if, uh, how many of you guys have seen the criminal code, which was Howard Hawks's previous film. Boris it was another, yeah. It was another crime film, Walter Houston and Boris Karloff. And 
this this movie and the criminal code which i watched again last year for the first time in a while just go together like a really nice pairing of uh of gangster films and then after this Howard Hawks made a couple more movies and decided to just go do screwball comedies because <laughs> I, I'm, you know, like two years after this is bringing a baby. So it's and his girl Friday as well. That, that his girl Hawks Friday well? was a few years after that. And that's another great screwball comedy. It's amazing that this guy could have that kind of, um, that kind of variety. He can go from making the stark, dark, brutal gangster film that kind of defined that generation and then making, you know, Bringing up baby, wait, was bringing up baby his or was that George? no? George Cooper was a uh, Philadelphia story, but then he would go make bringing up baby and his girl Friday, two of the greatest screwball comedies ever, just shortly after this. Um, and Dvorak as the sister, uh, is I mean, you know, she was 16 when she made that film. When she made this film, she made she was 16 years old, the sister. I didn't know. I never looked that deeply into into her past. Yeah, she's uh, sixteen because she had she had to have her mother on set. Um, she had to have um, she had to have special permission from her mom because she was only sixteen. She was cast when she was fifteen, but she was, they started re, they, she was filmed when she was sixteen. What actress was that? The uh, one who uh, plays his sister. And she was. Oh, she did look so. really young. Really I, young. I didn't realize she was that <clears throat> young and very emotional. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's also just the way the way they portrayed women back then. The women in this movie are not really that important, except she for- was kind of Betty Boopish, wasn't she? Was it yes. Yeah, yes, a little bit. Okay. She was very, um, she was very sexually open, though. Very, very. She wasn't. She wasn't like. I mean, she didn't. She didn't start off as like this innocent little flower who slowly no. becomes start corrupted by love. I mean, she was out there for the partying from the very start. Right. Yeah. You know, but then again, I guess this will be like, I mean, I know the film came, you know, it's made in 1931, but I think it more, I think it's more glamorizing before the depression, isn't it? Really? It doesn't take place uh, yeah, before the depression. The, yeah, it's set in the 20s. Yeah. Um, so therefore. What song was he whistling? That's making me nuts. Oh, uh, hold on. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's from an Italian opera. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, Trying to remember da, 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 where is it because I I made sure to make a note of it because when I once I remembered what it was I had to actually sit there and go okay let me let me write this down and now because I don't I don't know why I didn't write it down now it's bugging me and I can't find it uh, so, um it is but you yeah, did right. notice that every time somebody died the ex showed up he was whistling was a lot it, yeah. of sibling with the ex so it's uh, uh Lucia di Lammermoor. Okay. Oh, yes. There you go, Debbie. Thank you. <laughs> that's what it was. I was like, when I finally figured it out, I'm like, ah, that's what it is. Write it down. And I made a note. Because <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to remember it here. But it's it's fantastic. Because yeah, it's the first thing you see in the movie is you know the uh the shadows on the wall as as who who is this person that's creeping up onto onto this guy and killing him and you and eventually you realize it is tony it does kind of hit the road running doesn't it because i mean it's it not really even does. a slow burn it's just like death no you right away death. murder first minute yeah. murder um it's really really fast that's what i really like about this version it is a it's not really boring fast. it's not boring no, it's just bam, it bam 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 the whole time yeah, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have the time to ever slow down because there's only like 93 minutes and there's a lot of story in that 93 minutes 
It's kind of a marriage between silent film and talkies, though, as well. It's kind of that bridge in between film techniques. If you look at because it's filmed like a silent film. But but it has the you know the talking. I mean, I'm just talking about the way the the film cameras are like set up and the way it's filmed yeah. and the makeup that the people are wearing. I mean, if you took the sound off, you'd think you're watching a silent film. So you think it it was more pro- produced or like a like a, t- a non-talkie movie? Is that what you're saying? Well, talkies are new at this point. I think I mean point. this is not this came but this they still have the makeup. Yeah, okay. But yeah. I mean, the talkies were what 19 what when the jazz singer come out 1929. 29. Oh, no, 20, no, 27. Wait, 27. 20? Oh, wow. Was that, is that a talking movie? I don't remember. The yeah, jazz singer, Al Jolson, the jazz singer. Is that a talking movie? Well, that, was, that was the first talkie film. Okay, okay. Actually, yeah, that's, okay. That's, that's the thing that I always notice with these early Howard Hawks movies, because even um, when you watch uh, Tiger Shark, where Edward G. Robinson is a, a <laughs> fisherman that uh, uh, catches his, uh, his wife in bed with his first mate, and then there's... Um, and before this, when he made um, uh, the Criminal Code, like yeah, the makeup. Like if you look at Walter Houston's makeup in the Criminal Code, it's very. It looks very much like a silent movie, right? Uh, but I appreciate that because you know Keith said if you watch it, it's all wonderful stuff. I mean, it's 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 like an archaeological find, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, if you um, 1920. But what I'm saying is, is, it's not, it's not about, it's not a critique or anything like this. No, I know. But the thing not. is, but it, but it shows that basically, um, the transition at that time, because at the same time, even though they had talkies, though the film, the, the, the camera, um, the basically the technology in the camera has them produced. So basically, they still have to use those stro- extremely strong lights and everything like that. Right. So basically, in 1931, when they're doing a film, the reason why the makeup's the way it is. Is because basically the the lights had to be so strong that they that each film, if you're making a film at that time, you're basically sitting in like ninety to hundred degree heat. Because I was of, wondering, the it's gotta be really yeah. oppressive. Well, so, so that's the reason why when you see like um and Novak's makeup and stuff like this and stuff like this, it's probably that's the reason why the makeup's the same. But it's almost like we can see where it's being married because Howard Hawks at the same time is moving his camera a little bit more than what it's not a stationary camera that's happening right. either. Exactly. So you're getting a little bit more movement and stuff like that. So and I mean you you said if you watched it with the sound off, you'd think it was a silent movie, but you'd also don't like if you watched it with the sound off, you could still follow everything mm-hmm. that's going on in the story. It is so and just unbelievably visual hawks is constant not only is hawks constantly moving his camera the way the story's told could be told without any dialogue you could, could absolutely be. understand everything that's going on you could see the the the, uh, the power dynamic between the characters everything is just laid out completely visually um and it's it's fantastic because of it <laughs> And George Raff didn't really have to, he had a lot to go by when it came to gangsters. I guess he grew up in the same areas with Bugsy Siegel and George Raff. He, he, already, he already knew gangsters, apparently. George Raft is another one that he he's he's kind of a minor gangster movie star, but he probably could have been a major gangster movie star if he'd made the right decisions. There's um uh I, I mean I guess the, the story's apocryphal. I don't know. That he supposedly turned down Casablanca. I oh, don't yeah, know if that really? was actually true, um, but there's a there's a rumor that Raft was offered the uh, the Humphrey Bogart uh, role in Casablanca, and he he refused to do it. But at the same time, there's also studio memos from the 30s when um, 
uh, Bogart did his one horror movie, uh, The Return of Dr. X, uh, the director, Vincent Sherman. I think a memo exists sending uh, that, that was sent to Sherman just after filming began that said, make Bogart look great because we're going to be pushing him to the stratosphere after this movie. So I don't know exactly if that's true, because it seems like the studio got behind Bogart, but the rumor is Raft refused it. I don't know where that story came from, but uh, uh, what, was, uh, they, what was it? They, they Drive by Night is a really good one that he did with Bogart in the, the late 30s. He's always he's always been somebody who I really enjoy seeing, but he kind of kind of slipped in the middle there, like didn't really fall out of doing them, but he was kind of never never really became the big star. Everybody thought he would. Mm -hmm. I guess Al Capone liked the movie so much he had his own copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when you uh, uh for, for those of you that watched uh, the offer on paramount plus last year uh yeah oh my joe, god the, the way yeah. joe Col joe colombo was proud of the god <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny honestly i didn't realize they went through that much hell to get that film done oh, yeah. but i looked well, it up and a lot of that shit's real that actually happened this and they had a hell also, of a time getting the Italians to let them make this movie. This movie also had, uh, you know, gangsters that were uh, making sure that what what was being put out there wasn't uh, wasn't anything that was going to be detrimental to, uh, you know, to, to them. Or oh no, no, not enough people know about that. We can't put that in. Um, and the um, uh, the author of the novel, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, apparently he was he was. Uh, watched closely by uh by the gangland too to make sure he wasn't putting anything in the novel that that wasn't uh wasn't okay with them so they this was a time when the mafia had some had a lot of pull, a pull. into well, the 70s and 80s well haku wrote the um screenplay for this anyway i mean he he knew capote and while he was writing this um basically um, capote sent two men to visit him in hollywood to make sure the film was was not based on his life. Um, he, he, he told, and um, Heck told him that Scarface character was a parody of numerous people and the title was chosen as it was intriguing and nothing to do with the scars based on Capote's own face. <laughs> and the two people left um, Heck alone and Capote took tell, tell us that basically that his henchmen helped form the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would not have wanted to piss off Al Capone. I mean, he used you know he used to beat people over the head with baseball bats at dinner. You know, I mean, nobody really wants to piss the man off. So that's a different Brian De Palma movie. I know, <laughs> but I mean, he actually did that though, and they show it in different movies. He did beat people over the head with baseball or baseball bats. He was not a nice guy, and by no, the time I think a lot of this, he was dying of syphilis. He was already losing his shit anyway. You know. So, I mean, didn't they have penicillin back then? No, I don't think um, they had penicillin until the yeah. 40s. Yeah, penicillin 40s. came around the 40s. So, I mean, everyone has, everyone was walking around with syphilis at that time anyway. So, <laughs> everybody was losing their fucking mind. The 20s were roaring. Huh? <laughs> what was that, Jim? The 20s were roaring. They definitely much, were roaring. As much as, as much as like, uh, you know, the media in the fifties would have you believe everything was like this Ozzy and Harriet yeah. uh, life. <laughs> the twenties and thirties, there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, um, 
uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard the movie Babylon uh, uh, tackles a lot of it. Like I haven't seen it you know, yet. Uh, what, what was his name? Fatty Arbuckle killed a woman. Uh, um, that was actually um, that was actually he he. Um, I was actually reading about that because um, I was reading the autobiography of oh, what's this? The silent com- comedian who made a lot of films, Buster Charlie Keaton. Chaplin? Buster Keaton. Okay. Uh, Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. And, they, okay. and he was he was good friends with Fatty Arbuckle. And basically what happened was, is that um, he was accused and um, and at that time they were cracking down on him anyway and kind of find out that Fatty Arbuckle didn't even know the woman. It came oh, out wow. later. It came out like 20 years later that they, they two never knew each other. Was he so real? Um, basically it happened at a party and because yeah, but- he, went in, he went and got his coat and then they, that's, uh, they, they think someone else went in and they think it might... Um, there has been links that it might have something to do with Charlie Chaplin because he had a weird sexual fetish with sticking foreign objects up inside women. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like we were saying, the 20s were roaring. Foreign objects? <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, well, the, 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 woman, the, woman, the woman died for being, um, for being raped with a Coke bottle. Holy yeah. shit, man. I can think of other yeah, things. Yeah, Fatty Arbuckle went bottle. on trial for it. They, yeah, they, they, they all they all thought it. Fatty Arbuckle did it, and I think the girl that was with because I think it was two girls were were with he whoever. He didn't do was. it though, right? Yeah. No, he had found, kind of find out that the other girl said that no, actually he didn't do it because he was actually with me, and it broke up his marriage. He lost his Hollywood career. He lost everything. He did. He did yeah, that's awful. He did. He did come back though in the uh, the early thirties. Yeah. He did have a little bit of a resurgence because he made those those shorts with Shep Howard and. Um, all that stuff at Warner's in the early 30s. So they did attempt to bring him back. It wasn't very successful. He was never well, as big as he was. Well, Rudolph Valentino got killed with a platinum dildo. <laughs> Is that <laughs> how he died? Hollywood, Hollywood Babylon. <laughs> read Hollywood yeah. Babylon if you ever want to. I've not Twitter. read it. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, is that how he supposedly uh, died? There's so many of these stories from that time period. <laughs> just about like just massive orgies and well, everybody fucking everybody else. And, uh, Claire, yeah, Rudolph Claire- Valentino uh, apparently um, he was given this gift. I can't buy, by someone famous. But he was giving this platinum dildo. Because he liked things that were well endowed. <laughs> Rudolph Valentino. And so he's oh, giving so us he, that. what did he like his bread buttered on both sides or something? Um, no, he, he only liked it bre- buttered on the one side. He was gay. But, yeah, um, I see. I thought he was, I thought he liked but, but he was but he was what he was what you would call a size queen. So, <laughs> so um, but he was given this um platinum dildo that would eventually someone would break into his house and end his life with by killing him with it. No so. shit, I didn't know that. How did I yeah. not ever go back and reread some stuff? Wow, I didn't like, know that. I think we know v- Vicky, Vicky's birthday or Christmas, one of us has to get her a copy of Hollywood Babylon. Hollywood Babylon 1 and 2 by Kenneth Alger. I never read the second one. I'll probably uh, buy it now just because I feel like I'm missing out on some good... The second one The second things. one has pictures of um, Jane Mansfield's head on the hood of the car when her head which got decapitated in the no car. way really uh, yeah. uh, if you, if you uh, it's probably on prime uh if you watch mansfield 66 67 that uh that documentary details her relationship with anton levey up until her death oh no kidding 
Um, that's that. that's uh, that, that's a good one to check out if you want to. I always tell want... everybody. I always learn something new every time I talk to you boys. But my Babylon two is also got that got the stories about how James Dean liked to be a human ashtray, how he liked people to put cigarettes out on him. That I've I have heard that read. one too. That I have read. That one I uh, uh, the first Hollywood Babylon Clara Bow apparently uh, uh, was gang bang gang banged by the entire USC football team. Uh, not UFC, USC, UFC. Actually, um, come to find out that actually wasn't Clara Bow though. That you know who you know who it was in reality. Who was it? Joan Crawford. What happened? Really? Yeah, that's back when she's making. Her, that's back when she's making her porn films. Oh, that's right. I, yeah, we did know about that one. But she. she but that's technically not. not it, came, really it came out. It came out like after she died that it basically that that happened when she was. But school. that's they haven't really proven that was Joan. Crawford's pornos, though, but everybody knew she was making. Oh no, no, films. those porn, those por no, those stag films are. I mean, they're called stag films in the days, but don't no, no, those porn films are alive today. You can find them. Oh really? really? These guys are giving me all kinds of nasty shit to start getting on the dark <laughs> web to look for. I'm gonna be perverted all weekend now. We're saying stag films. Basically, it's just Joan Crawford dancing with no clothes on, really. It really wasn't like any hot and heavy yeah, bullshit. No, no, because they made stupid films no, back then. She's not, she's, not, she's not riding anyone to stardom or anything. No, because most of those stag films are just like just dancing around with like no clothes on, really. It's not like that yeah. crazy movie. What was that crazy movie? I mean, I mean, today it's very tame. Back then it probably was very scandalous. But today we'd be like, that's, it's like, that's like watching like, you know, a Spanish drama on netflix <laughs> so so david what are your thoughts of scarface in 1932 all right I'll, I'll try to speak as much as i can because i've got a little bit of sore throat so Just take your time man. okay so uh it was quite interesting one second uh it was quite interesting <clears throat> it was quite interesting because um you could definitely tell that there was a sort of um, political agenda in the movie. So there was a bit of an extreme uh, representation of the gangsters, that makes sense. Um, I quite liked it, not as much as I liked all the, all the movies, but um, to be like in all movies, I actually quite liked it. Um, it was interesting, the fact that, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> uh, it was quite interesting that the main characters looked very much like a psychopath. And it was very cocky. I think a little bit <clears throat> monodimensional. That makes sense. Like he was fixated on power. Um, I was a bit weird about the love he had for the sister. Um, that, yeah, that, that I'm telling you, there's a little ooh going yeah. on. Uh, now, <laughs> incest, ooh, now, now there was incest going on. There was ancestral love going on. I thought so. Yeah, it, I thought it's so. more toned down in this one than it would be in the remake. The remake was a lot more over. Well, yeah. for on her part, it was over. Not so much on Al Pacino's part, because you know, I don't think Al Pacino had the hots for his sister like it looked <laughs> like in the 1932 Scarface. <clears throat> it was a little more overt, I thought, in 1932 as opposed to... I thought so, too. I thought, I thought that she was a bit more hot and heavy into her brother than... Yeah, she than was. Remake. She was a little slut muffin. She, yeah, she was slutty. <laughs> She's very I mean, slutty. I mean they, they kind of used like a very young character, very hormonal, very emotional, so it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't uh, hormonal. I, I mean, she was just neat. 
And she was, and she's a cat to be purring and rubbing herself up against everything. <laughs> Who am I going to choose? around cats and heat. That's exactly what it was like. Uh, watching it. I mean, you know, they'll go up against furs. <clears throat> they'll rub up against. Yes, she was definitely a cat in heat. <laughs> but yeah, he, he himself instead, I think he he sounded very much. He looked like very much like a psychopath. Um, no morals whatsoever. Just chaos, destruction, power. Um, it looked very much like a dictator sort of thing. <laughs> All I want is power, control, and everything. And it was very cocky, even when it was like taking the wife or the boss and everything, like too cocky compared even to the other movies. Because I watched comical, the... though, too. Did you think he was kind of comical in a way? Just yeah, he was. He was a bit. He was so in control, uh, so um, so confi- overconfident, and he. I think he came across cocky, so he would make jokes and spaces also when he was talking to the police at the beginning when he did that sort of thing the movement <laughs> it was funny uh, but yeah i didn't hate the movie because normally i don't like <clears throat> i don't like gangster movie but i actually didn't mind this movie i like the nostalgia <laughs> of the film that i just i just love seeing the old nostalgia and the silver screen come alive because it seems, I don't know, it's classy looking, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah. thing I don't understand, basically, is I don't see how this... I mean, what I found interesting about the film is that basically it's... Base, uh, it it kind of, like, hints around that base... That, that crime is running politics. If you notice, like, even, like, disclaimers, even though, like, they're, you know, they're these disclaimers against, you know, organized crime. Well, and it kind of does, like don't you think? I mean... But, but, but the funny thing, but, the, but there's, like, this weird undertone that basically is, like, you know, beware of the government because the government's oh, behind it. Oh, I know. It. Oh, my God. And there's, like, this kind of <laughs> mess how we saw that at the beginning right of the there. movie. I died when I saw that. It's like, they did not just say that at the beginning of it. It's know, like, that is I mean, so I'm, fitting right yeah. now. And I, and I watched, I, I kind of watched it twice. So I thought to myself, because, you know, I knew, and I did a little bit of research before, you know, went into watching this, because this is actually the second time I've seen it in my life. So I went and bought the Blu-ray anyway. So, and the Blu-ray's got a nice little featurette in the beginning of it before an introduction. And then you know it's like oh you know they you know they had they put this thing on at the beginning to you know to warn audiences about the violence and it's not glamorizing violence and so so then I'm you know watching the movie and it's like and then you see those things like they just basically said that you know the gangsters or the mafia own the government that's pretty much what it's saying you know like what <laughs> well it was kind of a propaganda don't you think it was kind of a propaganda film a little bit too to some extent maybe for the 30s yeah there was political agenda definitely at least definitely. at least for that one part you know where yeah. they're slamming the government well it, it seemed like it was almost saying that it was a know, warning to the government that the government officials and people who should be protecting us from this happening they are turning a blind eye to it yeah, yeah. you know so it's kind of got that thing I mean but I mean, I guess you have to also remember, though, that the people in power and the big, you know, people and companies and stuff like this, you got to remember that this gangland was actually providing, this is in the middle of prohibition, so they were providing yeah. all the alcohol for all these people who had yeah. money you could drink. So yeah. I was gonna, like, who were the same people in charge of prohibition, even though the people in charge of prohibition were the ones drinking themselves. So it's like, you know, I don't know. do as I say, don't do as I do situation. Yeah. <laughs> But that's but that's also a cause of the depression because, I mean, what happened when 
when everyone was living live and uh, everyone's on top of their game and and basically all morality was thrown out the windows during the 20s then when the stock market fell and depression happened all of a sudden it's like okay now we you know god has punished us for our over excess sin so let's go back to family values and morality and that's what happened during the 30s and the 40s basically this is where we do our eye roll but okay yeah. I mean, this, well, I this mean, is also why he was made to tack on uh, the alternate ending, which I don't know if everybody here saw it. He, one where he's sure supposed to be yeah, his trial, it. and then he has to hang, but they don't show it. I watched two. I watched it twice. One with, one without. Yeah, they show. Yeah, the, the way they, 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 yeah, they don't show the hanging. They, they, they. It's very heavily implied, but I guess that's why you have to. You know, the government's like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. Wait, no, we 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 don't do we actually execute these people. That's what right. you need to put in this movie. <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah. And to be honest, the, the original ending is a lot more meaningful. The original yeah. ending. Because the best is like, you know, I think because the original ending, what you have is like, you know, you got the sister gonna fight 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 by his side. You know, she picks up the gun, of course, she dies. And then, and then basically, this, which causes the death of him because he's like mourning the loss of his sister. So you kind of get, so, so for me, the original ending, what you have is you got this guy who's like, doesn't matter what he, what he does until he gets to the top. At the end, before he dies, there's this, he has, he, there is a humanitarian about him. And I think for me, the, the original ending shows that it wasn't, when he looks back, you know, he's holding his dead sister and he gets shot, that basically he feels it wasn't all worth it. That's what I got from the original ending. Where the other ending kind of like, well, okay, he's a criminal, got caught. And, okay. Yeah. Where the but, original ending, I think, was a bit more poetic and a bit more, had a bit more gravity to it. I mean, he gets shot, he crawls into a gutter and dies. And that's when the camera pans up as you know, people are cheering in the streets and you see the world is yours. You know, that is a much far more and De Palma kind of recreates it. Not exactly, but we'll get to that when we, when we talk about the remake in a few minutes. Uh, But yeah, absolutely. I love that original ending. Uh, If you have the DVD or Blu-ray, you can watch the, the alternate. I don't know. uh, uh, Yeah. You also get like, you also get the thing with the sister as well. It makes it twisted. Yeah, but I mean, the whole thing where she's going to fight by his side and she dies, and that's what I mean, that's pretty much what causes his death, actually, because it takes his mind off the ball, doesn't it? Sort of thing. Yeah, he loses it. Yeah. Yeah. He loses his focus. Yeah. He loses his focus, which causes death, sort of thing. So it kind of makes it look like he's got like mental health issues. So it looks like, oh, he's a villain. But because he's got mental problems. And always, every time I see movies like this and around that, (coughs) they make free for madness. They all seem like they got a little insanity around the eyes. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I watched Reaper Madness, but I don't know. Maybe it's the makeup that they wear. But it's kind of the, the same thing, though. But did they make, Joe, are you saying they put that alternative ending in because the government was pissed? I think, I mean, I, I it, think. To be honest, the funny thing about it, though, the alternative ending from what I've read was only used in certain cities. Yeah, I read it was, that. And that was like Chicago, New York, where, where basically the, the mob was. Yeah, where there was strong, <laughs> you know, um, mafia um, 
leanings to, and, right. but like 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 Atlanta and like uh, other cities where there wasn't that huge gangland right. problem going on. That the original ending was being shown. So it just seemed right. to be that tack down ending was for like those kind of cities where they thought that they're. So maybe if they thought it was like a nice deterrent, like oh, if you care, if you continue to continue being part of the family, you could hang. <laughs> Okay. But, I mean, but I mean what's the difference between hanging or being shot in the streets yeah you know like what's the difference you're dead either way I get, um, yeah but I, I think what it is is that for, the thing is is that you know big brother is watching you and therefore you know the police will get you I think it's like it's, I think it's more of that the, ergo you, know, you but, get justifiable violence <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's I guess uh, but the original, the original ending is a lot more poetic and a little bit more, a little bit more. It it, it leaves you with a. It kind of it stays with you long after the film ends because it's kind of like oh what and because you do think I for me I thought to myself was it worth it, you know to go through all that, you know and I love the mother. The mother saw right straight through him, so sort of thing. Yeah, in both, yeah, yeah. In both versions. Both yeah, the movies. Right they didn't stray too far from that. Either movie either. They didn't stray too far at all from that. And I love a film that's uh, that's basically a really strong documentary in Italian life in 1932. So. <laughs> <laughs> there he's got to start slamming Italian. This is not a good podcast to start slamming Italian. Right, that's true. Three, three of us are Italian. Yeah, yeah that, that one was that one was just for you, Vicky. Yeah, it's always for me. But you know what? He, he won't do it to y'all. Y'all, I don't know why. He's, Vicky's, in Vicky's family is in charge of the huge mafia in Watertown, New York, because they own a pizza factory. They own the pizza restaurant. <laughs> All them people are dead now. Just yeah, because of mafia, because of, because of alternative families. The Carponi family, at least the Carponi family took them down. <laughs> so a little, a little bit of, a little bit of trivia for the horror people out there. Obviously, Boris Karloff. Yeah, a year removed from Frankenstein uh, is uh, um, God. What was his character's name? It was uh, something with a T. I'm trying to remember the character's name. Uh, yeah, I just uh, had it here. Just a few minutes uh, ago. Not, not T. It was, uh, oh, fuck. Well, wh whatever it was. Um, he was. Tom Gaffney. Yeah. Gaff Tom Gaffney. He's, play he's playing an Irishman. An Irishman. From a rival gang, and he almost walks in on what turns out to be the same Valentine's Day massacre. Because you, you, uh, you hear him, you, you know, he sees the police yeah. car come up. He thinks it's going to be the cops rounding everybody up and taking them away. He bolts the other way. The cops tell the guys line up. Uh, hey, it's Valentine's Day. Line up and then mows them all down with machine guns. Um, we also get that that excellent um, that excellent montage of just all the all the various violent things that are happening as as uh, Tony is on his rise to power. The other um, the other kind of horror trivia thing is uh, based on actually Paul Muni. So Paul Muni was originally the person, well, first it was Lon Chaney. They wanted Lon Chaney to play Dracula in the 1931 film, but he died. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Muni was their second choice. And I don't know why, but that never happened. And let's, let's be honest, as much as I like Paul Muni, I don't know if that film would have been better 
uh, with Paul Muni in it. And I don't know that it would be as fondly remembered today, but it ended up going to Bella Lugosi. But yeah, Paul Muni was, uh, was in consideration for the 1931 Dracula. And here in this movie, he is uh, playing opposite uh, the, uh, you know, Frankenstein from the 1931 movie. And Howard Hawks loved using Karloff. Um, the criminal code, he's absolutely terrifying as the, the, the long-term lifer prisoner who everybody's afraid of. Uh, he's absolutely phenomenal in that. And Howard Hawks brings him back for this. Uh, at this point, he was already famous, though. He'd already played the monster. Uh, he was already well on his way to being a horror icon. He was in the old dark house. He was about to do the... Uh, he, no, he had already done The Mummy. He was about to do The Ghoul and a lot of other stuff. So a little horror trivia to bring us all back around to the classic horror that we uh, that everybody loves about us. I mean, I'm hoping that they'll find the Paul Meany film called Seven Faces, where he plays seven characters. There's, I hope uh, you never know. Hopefully one day it might show up. So I was reading last year that there's a, a big search for a lot of these lost films going on in Australia. And the reason for that is the way the studios operated back then is they would send all these prints out and they'd send them, you know, around the country, then into Europe, Australia and New Zealand were the last two places where they sent these prints. Right. And a lot of times they told the theater distributors it's um, who were asking, how do we send them back? They were straight up telling them, don't bother sending them back because it's way too expensive. Just keep them. So there's been people looking in Australia and New Zealand, hoping to find seven faces. Um, Somebody's got them. Charlie Chan carries on uh, all the various Theta Barra films, um, uh, London After Midnight, all these movies. Hopefully they do pop up somewhere. Somebody's got to be somewhere. They're in somebody's garage or something. I mean, a lot of them get the the, the nitrate film was so combustible that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they 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 might no longer exist. That uh, that fire at Fox in uh, 1937 destroyed just about their almost their whole library, didn't it? Almost their whole library. Back then, at the time, the uh, the executives that were interviewed about it said, "Ah, nothing much of value is in there. Just some old films." My God, I know, man. They only knew if they only knew. Uh, it's like, I guess, how could they know, you know? They never thought I mean, there'd ever be a second life for these films once the initial release was made. They certainly right. didn't. That's why they use the same music over. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. They use stock music. Yeah. I mean, Paul Mooney was also, I mean, he comes from the Yiddish theater school. And, um, and, and Paul Mooney, I guess you could say, is probably one of the original method actors. Definitely. You know, That's he would I like... Read he would research and everything like that. And I, I, you know, I think it's quite interesting that his last film in 1957, he was nominated for an Academy Award for it. So that's Which film good. was that? That's um, The Last Angry Man. Really? Yeah. He was, think... he, he was nominated quite a few times, though, for awards, so. Life of Emile Zola, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. Uh, he, mm. he got a lot of Oscar nominations. I think he won for Emile Zola. I got to look that up, but um, man, he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, absolutely fantastic to watch in anything he's in. And he's, he's always forgotten the best about in- a little bit, though. That's what's kind of weird. Yeah, it, it is strange because he should be more like Pete. Like I feel like more people know, obviously James Cagney. And, he got uh, best actor for what does it say? Didn't say winner, but 1937, the story of. 
Emil like, Zell? Yes. Yeah, that, that was his that, that was his best uh, actor winner. And he got nominated three other times. Black Fury, The Life of Emily, and The Last Angry Man. Yeah. I thought he got it for, I thought he got nominated for um uh, uh I'm a fugitive on a chain game. Yeah, yep, that too, and the Valiant. Okay. I mean, interestingly enough that he won twenty two films that made he he mm-hmm. made twenty two films. And won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in the 36th film, The Story of Louis Pasteur. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. And interestingly enough, though, his last film is with Jason Voorhees' mom. Really? Betsy Betsy Palmer. Palmer. I've never seen that one. The latest film of his I've seen was um, uh, the one where Claude Rains is the devil. And Paul Muni. Paul Muni's a gangster who dies and goes uh, to hell. Angel on my shoulder. Angel yes. on my shoulder. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Claude Rains is the devil, and he sends him back up, uh, back up to Earth to to make up for his crimes. Claude Rains, which is, like, man, which is a com- which is a comedy film as well, which Paul Mooney was yeah. known for. So, yeah, and uh, Archie Archie Mayo, the great gangster film director, Archie Mayo directed that one too. So that, that, I think that was his final film. So that's but that's probably the latest one I've seen of his. Um, yeah, I, I did see. I did see a comedy with him called Hi Nelly. It was kind of one of those front page type, fast talking reporter newspaper uh, comedy, kind of like, kind of like the front page or His Girl Friday or stuff like that. Uh, I thought he was okay in that. Um, I, I like that one. Um, but yeah, you're right. He didn't really do a lot of comedy. He was more of a dramatic actor, and he, he was he knew his stuff, man. He was he was great to watch in anything. Yeah, so it's you know it's a shame that he's kind of been left on the back burner, kind of slight thing, you know, kind of slight thing. Considering that he, yeah, people think of Bogart, they think of Cagney, they think of Robinson, but yeah, Paul Muni seems to be also on the like that second tier. And I, yeah, you're right. I don't understand why that is. Maybe because of his wife Bella. Maybe they were. I'm not saying that maybe because they were. You know, maybe they weren't as waspy as they could be maybe that's why waspy so, well. well i mean no, that was the thing back then edward g robinson had to change his name to you know something that sounded a, a little less ethnic so yeah i just that's, robinson just doesn't sound ethnic to me i'm sorry just, well that's, that's not his, that's, real name. That his real name i was okay what did he change it from i always thought it was edward g robinson uh, no, his um, original name was um, Emmanuel Goldberg. Oh, uh, Emmanuel yeah. Goldenberg. Oh, uh, well, that's very ethnic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he had to ch- he had to change his name. A I, lot had, of I never knew that. That's interesting. I never. Well, he's because he's Romanian, wasn't he? So yeah. And you have to be care- you had to be careful with Romanian names back in that day because Romanian gypsies didn't have a very good flight in life at that time. Well, not flop right in life, but let's sit there and say that it was against the law to hire them in America at one point. And Hitler so wasn't too fond of them either. Well, yeah. So. on that front let's rate this scarface from 1932 how many machine guns do you give this vicky five plus i loved it <laughs> i've never seen it before i watched it twice and i've got the two different versions i watched and 
just the this beautiful side uh silver screen material and what about yourself joe oh it's five it's one of the greatest gangster movies ever made um <clears throat> you know when you when you look at you know little little caesar and and uh and the public enemy in this movie you can see why the Hayes Code people were losing their minds over these movies. I didn't think it was that bad. Then again, I'm desensitized. <laughs> but you, but yeah, we grew we up lie. having seen, you know, having seen Jason Voorhees shove a, yes. you know, shove a pole through two people while they're having yeah. sex. So <laughs> you got to think of the time. <laughs> So some of us seen that same scene like a few years before that in an Italian horror film. <laughs> yeah. Day of Blood. Day of Blood, yeah. yeah oh, but and now you're bringing up Mario Bava and that's going to make... Uh, yeah, okay, just yeah. for the record, Joe did not mention my Mario Bava movie. It was Keith. It was Keith that brought it up. That. Yeah, but Joe did text me, said, don't forget to mention Mario Bava. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That part's true. Keep the checks in the mail. <laughs> so, if I like yourself, David, how many machine guns do you give this? Um, <clears throat> I would give it a four out of five, especially because I, the whole movie for me is all about the mother. I love the mother. <laughs> the Italian mother. <laughs> she was funny. <laughs> and I'm going to give this a solid five. I think this is one of the one of the great one of the American greats. Um, from the 30s that you can't, it's hard to really turn your mind away from. And probably one that probably should be, if you're going to enjoy our next film, 1983 Scarface, you kind of need to see this really. And because yeah. they kept marrying the two sad. together. It is said that like a lot of people don't even know this one exists. Mm. That's like when I, when I bring up that Scarface is a remake, people don't know. Yeah. And that, that, that's really, that's really a shame that this movie is a lot of people realize the huge catalog of movies that are out there before the the, the age of lucas films and, and cgi and just the whole night there was a time when it was story time you know back then a lot of people that, don't that's the, thing. the this this movie just is way 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 ahead of its time uh just in, in terms of, of storytelling like you could watch gangster movies made in the years following this, and they don't even they don't even touch this. And it, it's because you know when you get to De Palma, uh, Michael Mann, Michael Mann, Martin Scorsese, Coppola. all these yeah Coppola, all these people they had a lot more leniency to work with. Back then in 1932, even before the Hayes Code, there were still things that we couldn't see on camera. Um, they, they also benefit from having all this new technology. Yeah. If, if Howard Hawks had been around in, in, in the seventies or eighties, he would have, the movies he would have made, you know, if, if that had been his heyday, the movies he would have made would have been just as tremendous as, as Scorsese, as Coppola, as Michael Mann, as Brian De Palma, as Oliver Stone, as all these guys who came up during that time. Um, if you haven't seen this, I am telling you to check it out because it is just such a great movie. And it, I, it really, it really pains me that people don't know that the movie we're about to talk about, which is great in its own, is a re right. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level? 
or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd. Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos, brochures or whatever you can dream up. Amazing Designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise. Try Amazing Designs today. Contact them via email at amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. That's amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at CrunchyCold 1-805-203-0427. We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. But I'd rather be different than be the same. Which brings us to Scarface, which is a 1983 American crime drama film directed by Brian De Palma and written by Oliver Stone. Lucy, based on the 1929 novel of the same name and serving as a loose remake of the 1932 film, it tells the story of Cuban refugee Tony Montana, played by Al Pacino, who arrives penniless in Miami during the Mario Boatlift and becomes a powerful, extremely homicidal drug lord. The film co-stars Stephen Bauer, who's the only Cuban in this film, Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer, Mary Elizabeth <laughs> Mastrano, and Robert Lagosha. De Palma dedicated this version of Scarface to the memories of Howard Hawks and Ben Heck, the writers of the original film. Pacino became interested in the remake of the 1932 version after seeing it, and he and producer Martin Bergman began to develop it. Sidney Lament, who initially hired to direct the film, but was replaced by De Palma, who hired Stone to write the script. Filming took place from November 1982 to May 1983 in Los Angeles and Miami. The film's soundtrack was composed by Joe Jim Roder, and E.T. Daly has a specific song with a person being chainsawed. Yeah. A little side note there. Scarface premiered in New York City on December 1st, 1983 and was released on December 9th by Universal Pictures. The film grossed $45 million at a domestic box office and $66 million worldwide. Initial critical reception was negative due to its excessive violence, profanity, and graphic drug usage. Some Cuban expatriates in Miami objected to the film's portrayal of Cubans as criminals and drug traffickers. In the years that followed, critics have reappraised it and it is now considered one of the greatest gangster films ever made. Screenwriter and director such as Martin Scorsese appraised the film and has been referenced extensively and pop culture, especially in hip-hop music. And if you ever seen Crips and a lot of these people's homes as well, anyway, <laughs> as well as comic books, television programs, and video games, the film has come to be regarded as a cult classic. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Scarface from 1983 and be right back. Okay, so what do you call yourself? Huh? Como se llama? Antonio Montana. And you? What you call yourself? Where'd you learn to speak the English, Tony? Uh, in a school. And my father, he was uh, from the United States. Yeah, just like you, you know. He was a Yankee. Uh, he used to take me a lot to the movies, you know. I learned. I watched the guys like uh, Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney. They, they teach me to talk. I like those guys. I always know one day I'm coming here, United States. 1980, Miami. They called it Little Havana. 
where the American dream had a price tag and only one man in a million was hungry enough to pay. This country, you gotta make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. Scarface. For one brief moment, the world was his. I check this one. She liked me. You must be kidding. What you talking about? That's a Cadillac. How do you know? The eyes, Chico. They never lie. Man, that's the boss's lady, okay? I am the boss. That guy's soft. I like you, Tony. There is no lying in you. Here's to the land of opportunity. We do business together a long time. I know the street. And I'm making all of our connections. Remember I told you when you started, the guys who last in this business, the guys who fly straight. With the right woman, there's no stopping me. I could go right to the top. The word on the street, Tony, is you're not a small-time punk anymore. Supreme Court says that your privacy can be invaded. You shoot the house this month? You're spending a lot of money on this counter surveillance. We're doing 10 million, 15 million a month. Come on. Now that's serious money, you know? Your bank boys gotta come down a bit. Who else can you trust? That's why you pay us what you do. You trust us. You're in good hands with us. Al Pacino is Scarface. He loved the American dream. With a vengeance. Al Pacino, Scarface. Welcome back to the Johnson Podcast. We're discussing Scarface from 1983. So, David, what are your thoughts of Scarface from 1983? Okay, so the premise is that I don't like gangster movies, <laughs> but I adore this movie, and it I was is. shocked. I, I was you shocked. Were hate it. No, oh. no, no, no. I was, yeah, I was really. You said you don't like extreme violence either, and this one's and yet, very violent. Right. And yet, and yet, I really, really loved this movie. I really was really impressed. Um, the way the story was told, <clears throat> the way um, it was filmed, the music, the scenes, everything is perfect. It looks like movies these days should be record, should be uh, directed and filmed like this. Um, I was very impressed. Um, I loved the, the main character. I actually loved him and hated him at the same time. I was cheering from him, then hating on him, feeling sorry for him. I was literally taken away by all this like storm of emotions. Um, it was, I was impressed. I was impressed. Um, in fact, my brothers, when I told them, oh, I'm going to do, you know, uh, the podcast about Scarface, they were like, oh, you're not going to like it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I actually loved it. I was impressed. Um, my take on the main character is of... A guy with mental health issues. It looks Definitely. like he, he comes from <clears throat> and like life of traumas, and so he grows into like wanting everything, 
and then there's like a it's like a story of the rise and falls of a super villain sort of thing so it's very interesting and then he gets everything then he gets paranoid and then he loses everything so very impressed i really really impressed i loved it you know the the super villain angle is a very very perfect one for this because he at that point where he is at his height he does have everything yeah the world is his at that point he he can't handle it (laughs) but he also gets paranoid he he oh jesus christ see how much he was snorting (laughs) <laughs> he also he also does the, the the he also makes the mistake of marrying for looks because he hates Elvira. Absolutely. Oh yeah, they hate each other. Yeah, but she's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She he he doesn't want her as a human being. He doesn't want her no. as a partner. He doesn't give a shit about anything about her except you need to look good when you're standing next to me. Yeah. That's well, he kind of there. made you think that he loved her, though, to some extent. Like after he kills her, whatever he is, sugar daddy, you know. Think <laughs> that, that he goes and gently says, "Hey, pack your stuff. You're coming with me." So I thought he had some feelings for. Her. I think, yeah, but that's, uh, but I think it has some more to do with like an actor winning an Oscar. She's like the, she's yeah. like the Oscar. She's a trophy wife. She's, she's a, a trophy, trophy wife. You know, yes. like, you may, you know, it's a bit like um, when sp- sports stars who like have these wives. You like you know with them through the you know the poor. <laughs> well, no, it's like no, like through the poorness, and as they're going through, then all of a sudden they become these great stars, and they like trade in their wife for the, the this trophy blonde yeah. wife sort of thing, and they she bring is. them forward. That, that's, you know? all, that's all she is to him. That is literally. Yeah, all yeah you're probably right about that. Yeah. They don't like, decide to have children. Can and, you imagine if they had kids? This couple, oh, holy cow! You know, well, he wanted them. He, he, he did want them, but like she said, yeah. would they be alive? I love kids. I love kids. But, but would he be alive to get him to school? Would he ever be there? I mean, she had legitimate crushes. Then again, she was on a steady diet of cognac, cocaine, and cigarettes. So and I mean, Quaaludes. Give her the Quaaludes. She'll love me she'll again. Take a Quaaludes. She'll love me again. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we also have to remember that um, Elvira is the American dream. What um, in our, the, the whole world sees America as, I wish they all could be California girls. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, that's like, you made it in America when you can get yourself a California girl, you know, you know, quote unquote sort of thing. And that's what, you know, and, and that's what you have to remember. That's the American dream. Right. The American dream. I yeah. mean, it's kind of funny because being an American living in, in Europe, and especially in England, people go, oh, everyone in America has big houses. Everyone in America is this and that. And they have this idea of what America right. is. Yeah. And, you know, and that's after you have to remember, like every TV show and movie that comes out Dynasty, of America. Dynasty, Well, I mean, that's, let's take, let's cut it back down to Melrose Place. And yeah. let's cut it back down to Friends, Frasier, yeah. you know, and all these other things. And I tell people the real America is Roseanne. Yeah, yeah. Roseanne, <laughs> real America. That's the majority. Everything else you're seeing is just not real. You know, Cosby Show is not real. Yeah. I mean, the Waltons, Waltons and probably Little House on the Prairie, probably were, set, you know, okay. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Little House on the Prairie. I mean, <laughs> Paul be out there shooting the Indians. You know, whether they cross his land, really, if that was true. <laughs> it's like more of a sanitized version of American <laughs> life in that time period. You know, but um, but yeah, I mean, so so the American dream is that what you know what we have here 
is, you know, what what their version of America is this. Everything's bigger. Everything's better. Everything's, you know, everything's like, you know, Coca-Cola's, you know, Coca-Cola clouds and, you know, and a, you know, Big Mac <laughs> sun and, you know, and everyone's running around in goofy shoes, you know, by Disney and, you know, and that's what America perpetrates. Right. So when you get people moving to America, you know, whether it's crime reasons or for a better life right. this is the version that they see this is the version they hope they're going to get and this is what right. america perpetrates he, themselves i mean he he is the the immigrant america is america's streets are paved with gold is what is what you know mm-hmm. tony montana is in, in a way um and I, re- I remember i had um when i was in film school there was a uh there was a chinese uh student with me in in my class and i remember i helped him out with a film and he was making this, uh, he was making an Asian gangster film uh, or in the style of an Asian gangster film. And it was about Asian gangs in New York. It was just a student film he was making. Right. And I remember uh, he was asking a lot of, uh, a lot of the, uh, the actresses that were available to us. He was picking out only the blondes. And he told me that, uh, well, the way, you know, the, the way his, um, the way his culture kind of saw it was that the American blonde is the symbol of uh of wealth and power to them right i don't know how true that i mean he was also you know 19 20 years old at the time so and now I also we have the kardashians now you know well, where, where is he from what country is he from i don't i think i think he was chinese i don't remember see asian countries and chinese and japanese and stuff i remember being in japan um and i was doing a show called um, Robert Hammerstein's um, Cinderella. This is back in 1987. Um, so I was there for six months living and living in Japan. And I have to sit there and say that all the blonde people that we had with us, they, the Japanese are following us everywhere. And, you know, if, um, if Christina turned around, looked at them, they go, they like, like, um, you're not the first person that said this. I've had other people tell me that when they lived in Japan. Yeah. And, um, and it was, it's very, it's very, I mean, it's probably not so much now because of globalization. Right. And now that we're, you know, now the world's opened up to, you know, Netflix has opened up, you know, Every programming day. from all around the world now. And, every, and no matter what country you go to, you're opened up to a lot more of what's going on around in the world than back then. Right. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. And then it's like, you know, and if, you, if they heard you had an American accent, they were just like being enthralled by you. And it's like, you know, they mm-hmm. wanted to touch you and everything like that, which in Japan for me was a bit weird considering that, you know, you know, let's say, you know, 40 years prior to that, we actually nuked them. But <laughs> so I was kind of like, so I would, so I found it a bit weird that they were so in awe by American culture. Well, because we rebuilt like the whole country after we nuked them. That's why. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, so but you know, but they're still very, very much enthralled. So much enthralled that basically Tokyo, Disneyland, Tokyo is a huge success. So now, now but, it's no longer the blonde. Now it's the big titty goth girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. So there's uh, this American dream. It's like to make it. But and, you know, another thing is that in America, that's what we perpetrate. That any kid can be president. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can be whatever you want to be. They'll all, you know, you can have the American dream. You can, you know, the reality of, of course, is that, you know, we're, I mean, we were brought up in that system. That's what we're brought up thinking. When we become adults, we see the reality. <laughs> I was like, but, you know, but same thing, but we don't have the class system, really. I mean, we do have it, but it's kind of a, 
Yeah, they're trying. It ain't getting there though. They're trying. Wait, <laughs> but if you but but if you do work really really hard, you can you can accomplish. It's not, it's not, it's not going to be easy that's though. That's the key word. Work at it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not gonna get handed to you. That's for but sure. but I sit there and say that if Tony Montana wanted to have the American dream, he's not gonna get it starting out as a dishwasher, really, no. unless he no. has to go through he has to go through the theme. Because I mean maybe maybe his children what second or third generation they can right. make it up, but just coming off the boat, you're not how gonna old get do you think his character? Do you think his character is supposed to be latter twenties, mid thirties or older? I'd say, I'd say mid thirties probably. I say mid thirties. Because he it's was not like the, he can go to college and start all over again. You know, no. he's almost going to have to do what he did to survive. You know, well, he was in the prison service anyway. So, I mean, he was prisoner, wasn't he? Right. So. And he, he used to work for Castro. Well, I guess they were forced to be soldiers for Castro. Yeah. Well, the thing is, what we what we don't know is that basically we have the story that they're perpetrating to the officials. Right. That was great. But, but we don't know if the story, what they're saying is true or not. Right. Because, um, an um, interesting thing about Castro at this time, when this whole thing was going on in the eighties, yeah. If you look at the more of the backstory that happened, is that America at that point was Jimmy you know, Carter still- welcomed the Mariolito boatlift people. He's the one that told them to come over. The problem with that was no, 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 is no, when no. they what- did that, they emptied their prisons into Miami. No, no. What they happened? Did. No, yeah, but no. What happened with that has um actually got a little bit further at that moment. America had a problem with Cuba because of Kennedy anyway. That created a huge problem. So basically, well, we America could not... We Cold War with communism. Well, it's basically, well, what happened was is they need America needed a, a villain, and Russia wasn't proving to be a great villain at the time. Yeah. So they tur- in the 60s, they turned back to Cuba. I don't remember them, them doing that to them, though, because I, I did a whole term paper, a whole thesis paper on the Mario. Well, it has to do with the... I don't know, remember to- them being treated badly, but, I mean, a lot of people were... Happy well, with America, but it has to do with the Bay of Pigs and all that. Other the stuff Bay of Pigs was a big, yeah, that was a problem. And um, and so basically, and then, then then what happened? Then the Vietnam War happened, and after the Vietnam War, America didn't have a villain, so we kind of turned to Russia for a little while. Castro the was same, a villain. But but the same time, America was um, going on this campaign about how Castro wasn't treating his prisoners humanely enough. Yes. So basically, when when Carter came up with the system here, Castro said, fuck you. If you think you can do a better, you think you can do a better job without my Set criminals, you for- deal with them. And yeah. he emptied his prisons and sent them over. He goes, fine, you deal with them, you know, because obviously you don't like the way I'm dealing with it. So it's kind of a big F you to, to the U.S., which, to be honest, the U.S. kind of deserved it. Because maybe you shouldn't be criticizing how other people are running their country unless you're handling your own people in the right way, maybe. Yeah, but um, so it was kind of like that as well. And, and then there, and there was the Jimmy Carter, that Jimmy Carter thing was a perfect opportunity yeah. to br- to do that. But it was Castro basically saying, no, listen, you're upset with the way I'm dealing with my criminals, then you deal with them. Yeah. So. Well, we and do maybe, have a problem with that because criminals are treated better than the victims now. So yeah, well, we've got to be now, well now nowadays, yeah. But um, so you know he emptied out his prisons and then, you know it started off. You know it did start off a a crime wave at that time. And you know, that, that's when cocaine was booming, though. If anybody lived through the eighties like we did, everybody knows. Everybody knew where to get some, and if you didn't, you knew somebody who knew somebody where to get some. 
that's but shit the problem the problem the, the place, yeah but the problem basically is is that cocaine as far as big business and as far as politicians are concerned they're the ones that were doing more of it exactly. more of it than anyone else was exactly they were they you know, were it, the dirties the mobsters it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like the poor little you know street urchins i mean we were all smoking marijuana i mean because we could we, we you know we could we didn't really afford cocaine at that yet, uh, yet, you know, unless until we until we started going to nightclubs and then maybe we'd have it wasn't it, that it was expensive. That <laughs> it, no. wasn't. it was like cheap. There was so much of it. There was just all over the place. Well, the I only mean, problem was, the only problem is it with it. Yeah, um, well, the only problem is, is that any cocaine that you're getting by depending on how close to Miami you were, the closer to Miami, the purer it was, the further yeah. away, the more it was cut with. So it's like, hey, <laughs> so, so yeah, I love think, that. If you're taking cocaine in Watertown, chances are you're probably just taking baby laxatives. That's pretty much what they were telling you. They, they used to cut that shit with baby laxative. Yeah, baby <laughs> laxative, and <laughs> and dual like, oh, line. Excuse me. <laughs> and sweet and sweet and low is and sweet and low as well. Yeah. Sweet and low and baby laxatives. It's baking soda. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was like three at this time, so I can't comment on that. <laughs> I was born in 81, so mid-80s. I was wow. three or four years old. I have no idea what the fuck was going on. You're probably better off for it, too. <laughs> what I do kind of find weird is that with, with this 1983 Scarface is that they, they say um, how so many... You know, gangster rap and stuff like this have basically made this like, I think, you know, they, they love this film. And for me, because it, it, I don't really see this as a glamorization of this lifestyle. I didn't think I feel, it was, I feel I like, like it's like, of this did lifestyle. Did you guys only get the first VHS tape where it cuts off and then you got to switch the second tape? You never got the second tape, so you never, you never saw the massive fall. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, seriously, it's really like. The only one who's smart was Michelle Pfeiffer. She's the only one that lives in this film, basically. Well, Everything well, he that's touches she dies. If she yeah. if she didn't if she didn't leave, she probably would have been on the part of the body count. And the the best I thought the best my favorite scene in the whole movie was the bathtub scene, where the only time they start they named Scarface ever. Oh, comes the out. Pelican. Come on, Pelican. No, oh, come on, Pelicans. Pelicans, yeah. Uh, they were they were fucking flamingos for one. They were not pelicans. Those were flamingos, okay? But Hector, the Colombian gangster, you know, the one who's threatening, they put Tony in the yeah. bathtub and they were going to do him. Oh, okay. I was thinking about the other bathtub yeah, scene. Yeah, okay. No, not that bathroom scene, but it goes refers to Tony as Cara Cicatrice. Uh, and that's Scarface in Spanish. That's the only time they used it. And it was based on a real incident. If you research the movie, Stone embedded himself with a Miami law enforcement and based the infamous chainsaw sequence on a gangland story here from Miami Dade. But none of this film was actually shot in Miami. Most of it was in um, it was in Santa Barbara, New York, Los Angeles. And all that cocaine that Al Pacino was doing led to a lot of nasal passage problems. <laughs> Apparently, I guess he was snorting. What was he snorting in actuality? Baby laxative, I think. No, it wasn't baby laxative. I think uh, it was. No, no, I got it right here. It says he, did, he was uh, powdered milk. He was oh, snorting. Powdered milk. Powdered milk. I mean, it would have been weird if it wasn't real deal. Oh, my God. But, do you know, it, I never thought powdered <laughs> milk looked like cocaine. But, you know, just, you just see him. 
especially towards the end when he sticks his head in that pile of cocaine. He's so wired, he can't even die. I mean, he's just gone. <laughs> he's just sitting there just electrocuting <laughs> Like, fuck it. It was, it was excessive. It was the 80s. The excessiveness of the 80s was real. I mean, it was an excessive decade. Well, while, while you're talking about that uh, that bathtub scene early on in the movie where right. uh, uh, his his friend gets chainsawed, that scene, the scene where they kill Ravenga, right? Uh, they are so Brian De Palma. Like if they you are. Those, that's they are that's real, that's whatever you watch. Whenever you watch any Brian De Palma movie, when he gets to those sequences like that. He has a way of putting you in the middle of what's going on. Because he, he takes his time to show you exactly where everything... He's looking out to where Stephen Bauer is in the car. You're seeing where, where, uh, where the, the woman is on the bed. You're, uh, he does it in every single movie. He like is, when they're under the bridge, that was very well. That was another that one. Was, that was another scene. De Palma has a way of, of, he telegraphs everything to the point where you know something's going to happen because he is showing you the position of everything involved in the, in the, uh, in the uh, scene. Yeah, I, think we do have, yeah. I think we do have to mention, though, he does steal all that from Hitchcock. <laughs> he does. He does. He absolutely does. Yeah, still. Yeah. I love De Palma Vorba, though. I mean, I love, you know. I love it because of that. That's what that's what makes Scarface for me is when he does when he does do that. You know that Oliver Stone moved to Paris to write this because he wanted to get away from cocaine so badly. He wanted to write it sober, so he went to fucking Europe to get away from the cocaine, and he did. And he said he wrote this absolutely fucking sober. Is his exact words? I think were. that might be the only thing he's ever done sober. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, I mean, this was the start of um, Oliver Stone's excess movies anyway. Wall Street came after this, and that was all about the American I think they said there was like 270 F-bombs in this movie or some shit like that. It's like, oh, wait, here it is. Scarface features 207 uses of the F-word, which works out to be at 1.21 F-bombs per minute. And I was going to say, the movie's, 100, the, the movie's 170 minutes long. <laughs> in 2014... Martin Scorsese more than doubled that with his record setting 506 F bombs thrown into the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I did not know that. I didn't count the F bombs, but every other word is fuck, fuck, fuck. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going into that world, yeah, yeah. of course. I've probably broken the record for F bombs on this podcast a couple of times. Yeah, me too. We're both neck and neck at that point. Yeah. Just part of my job. I say I say it at work in front of patients all the time. <laughs> and like, I believe you. I do actually. I, I, I actually I actually consider "fuck" to be the greatest American word. It's diverse. Yeah. It goes with everything. David's heard me at work use it all the time, haven't you, David? Oh gosh. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, um. After this, I decided to watch Carlito's Way. I need to uh, rewatch that. That's that's a that's time. a good pairing for this movie because the next day before work, I was like, you know what? I got to go to work. I'm I'm gonna throw in Carlito's Way just because we're gonna and it's it's a good like like I said, uh, Criminal Code and the original Scarface are a good pairing. This and Carlito's Way are a very good pairing. I watched Carlito's cover. Way only because we interviewed one of the actors in it from, from Dark Shadows. Oh gosh, he played Buzz. He, help me remind, remember his name. 
He played. Uh, yeah, I can't remember now, but he used to yeah. hang out with Carolyn in Dark Shadows. Remember? Yeah. Who was he uh, in Carlito's way? Oh God, it's gonna drive me nuts. I gotta look it up now. He, somebody me, from me and Tom interviewed him. He was in Carlito's way. Yeah, he was in Carlito's way, and um, and he's good friends with Al Pacino, but he yeah. was in Dark Shadows. I've, we got the remake of Dark Shadows. No, right? the original. No, the old dark. He started off the original with dark, shadows. dark shadows. Yeah. from the original Dark Shadows is in uh, Carlito. Yeah, he, his, his, yeah. his his character in Dark Shadows was Buzz, and I don't know why I'm having a blonde moment on this right now. Yeah. I mean, I saw Scarface when it came out the movie theaters. I went to actually the movie theaters on the, when it came out originally. And I remember I was like, I was in, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I went to go see it. I was, God, I just started just call, um, I was in my first year of uni, and I just kind of remember like just watching it, going, "This is interesting," because I was quite used to like, at that time I wasn't doing a lot of '80s horror films and stuff like that. So, the Diamond Room Man. I don't, I don't know who. Yeah, it just listed as Diamond Room Man in Carlito's way. So he's, he's probably just one of the gangsters. It's like floating around. Yeah, Michael, he Hedge. Also, Michael Hedge. Yeah, yeah I, I looked him up, Michael Hedge, and he's also in the shadow. I'm seeing it here, but I'm like, yeah. He, he, but he also produced. I'm um, looking for Richard, the Al Pacino documentary. Okay, so he so he was really close with Pacino then. All right, yeah. he had some great stories. He was a really nice guy. Yeah. But yeah, this this movie, it, it's I I like the violence in it because I mean, when you're doing when you're when you're remaking. A movie that was known for being so over the top violent for its time in 1932, and now you're remaking that movie in 1983. You have to. This is, you know, the slasher movies have begun. Violent gangster movies from Italy had started coming over here. Right. And those movies, like when you look at the the Poliziotto, uh, yeah, all the films too. Yeah, when you look at the, the Umberto Lenzi gangster films and uh, the ones made by like. Um, uh, Sir, uh, Sergio Martino and those people, those movies are hyper violent. So you have to kind of, you know, raise the bar again. De Palma does that fantastically here. And uh, yeah, story wise, but, yeah, you go ahead. Interestingly enough, though, when Manny's at the dance, uh, Manny at the Babylon Club, his dance partner is Lana Clarkson, the one who really? Phil Spector shot in the face. Really? No shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you just figure that out, or is that a tidbit you found? That's a tidbit that I found. <laughs> I, I, so yeah, so the one the the woman that Phil Spector killed is the woman that's dancing with Manny at the Babylon Club. No kidding, boy, that poor guy. He just wanted to go in there and just have get his job done that night. He didn't know he was going to get shot doing his performance because a bunch of jacked up Cubans decided to start killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I found quite interesting, though, did, and I, I don't know, but you remember when the, did you notice like the immigration officers, because the, they don't show their face, but they're right. questioning Tony Mantel. Did you recognize their voices? No, no. It's Charles, Der, it's Charles Derning and Dennis, uh, Dennis Franz. Is really? So, really? That's so awesome. if you go back, you can hear Charles Derning's voice and you can hear Dennis Franz's voice. And, I but I don't know. know I don't, I don't understand because they did the they did all the voiceover dubbing for them. So I don't not sure why they. As a, a favorite to De Palma because De Palma uses them all the time because he, you know, they're blowout and um, obsession and so on and so forth. But I kind of wonder why he didn't use them. 
Yeah, this is after well, blowout. So yeah, why didn't he just use that? De Palma Rock? didn't want to audition Michelle Pfeiffer. He didn't want her though. He wanted, he was going for Glenn Close or Gina Davis, Carrie Fisher, Kelly McGillis, Sharon Stone or Sigourney Weaver. But but uh, Bregman pushed for Pfeiffer to audition and she got the part. Uh, this, that was a, yeah, that was a, the right choice. Obviously. I, I mean, yeah. I sure well, Sharon Stone would have been fine. Uh, she would have been more like the original in the 1932, I think, because Sharon Stone has that quality of, well, Michelle Pfeiffer did a really good job of not showing emotion either, because she didn't really give a shit either one way or the other movie for the most part. No. Well, the interesting thing, the, um, the woman, the Cuban woman that's on the bed, who wasn't Cuban, but anyway. <laughs> no one the mean the one, one with the machine gun, you mean? <laughs> yeah, she, um, after, after she did this movie, after she filmed her scenes, five months later, she came up as missing person, hasn't been found since. Are you kidding? No. Was she, was she an actress or was she... Uh... She was actually a teen model. She wasn't a teen in this movie. Exactly, that's what I thought. <laughs> she, she was, she was, she was eighteen when she made that movie. When she was in, she's had a hard she, life by this point. Yeah, life. but she ended up um, missing. Yeah. That's what I so, said. She looked like forty. I thought exactly. she was like a forty-year-old woman, maybe. To be honest, I thought that you were her mother, Vicky. But that's oh, fine. Oh, fuck off, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> No, to be honest, I thought she was older as well. And then when I was like looking up, like who who is she? Because I thought that maybe she, because she had one of those faces that you, that I'm sure she would obviously showed up in television later on or something. She else. does. She does look like she, I've seen her somewhere before. It's like, it's, it's like Rosario from Will and Grace, the the head yeah. the housekeeper. I mean, um, um, she appears in like like you see all these '60s and '70s things that she's in all the time you know and you know but you only know her Rosario. but when you see the younger stuff that she was like famous back in the day she's like very right. character actress and everything so i thought she was going to be one of those but yeah no she came up missing sort of thing and they made he named tony montana after uh joe montana because he liked him it was his favorite team his favorite quarterback I find it interesting that they say this is a loose remake of the original because I don't think it's a loose it's remake pretty, of the original. No, I thought it was it's, pretty tight with the script still. It was elaborate and a little more excessive, but it was a little bit longer. Script. I still think there was a lot of incest, not a lot, but there was some incestuous something going on with the sister and the brother thing with Gina well, and Tony. Yeah, I, I found Gina more in love with. I mean, Tony more in love with Gina than it being in reciprocated one. in this yeah. one. This was but I, but I think, but I think in the, I think what Brian De Palma did in this one was made Gina the good. She was vir, the virgin, virgin the, the, the the pure, the pure virgin, yeah. the pure one. You know, who hasn't yet been touched by the underbelly that you know that um, Tony Montagna is bringing the in the crime and everything which eventually does destroy everybody he cares about well mama lived but mama loses both of her mom, children mom was smart enough to, to to be like no i want no part of you well yeah and the sister well you mean someone hands yeah. me my big brother started handing me thousands of dollars every week it's like fuck yeah you know <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, you know yeah but the but the thing is, though, at the same time, why that's happening is if someone's throwing you money, I'm sorry, you're still not getting it for free, though, are you? No. Because, her, because as anyway. soon as she starts accepting the money and stuff like this, her life is no longer hers. It now belongs to the brother. 
Well, I thought it was funny though. She snorted coke in the bathroom with that guy. She goes, "He's he treats me really good. He's a nice man." He goes, "He takes you to the toilet to make out." <laughs> you know, nice guy. You know. <laughs> on the one hand, you could see his point on that, but on right. the other hand, a- any guy that's that protective of his sister, there's some huge red flags because if it, if his immediate thing when somebody's talking, you know, talking to his sister is this guy's trying to use and abuse her. That's right. because that's what's on his mind. Right. I mean, but then again, if somebody were to take my sister into the into the stall of a public bathroom to make out with her, yes, that would be a red flag too. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, her tits are on show at the same time as well. Yeah. So she obviously, you know, and, and, and she's doing cocaine in the toilet. So it's obviously she's not as... And she's that's not as kind of weird. Well, I mean, that's what's kind of weird because um, it's uh, no, it's, it's, that's what's kind of weird that it doesn't, and that's I think this is where De Palma kind of messed up. If they had her a bit more worldly, like in the original, yeah, I think it'd make a little bit more sense yeah. for him trying to control her. But the thing is, because she starts off as innocent, and by the time we we don't see her again until she shows up yeah. in the nightclub. By that time, I mean she's loose you know fancy free you know yeah. kind of like you know got the disco got her arms up got her tits out going to the snorting coke in the, in the men's either. bathroom and i don't and remember she didn't look, discos in the 80s though i remember discos in the disco disco never went away i mean by the 80s they were, they were burning i mean they were burning the records but disco was still going on i mean this is also dance clubs i guess maybe. well, well i mean is, what is the time for gory esterfan <laughs> conga song was right around the corner from the, about this time that's true that's true the madonna starts- holiday burning that's up borderline true. lucky star all that stuff was out of that the time was, that's dance music though i think disco was just a little different for some reason i don't know what's the time uh, frame no i mean the discos were the same it's just that the music changed i mean i think well, the yeah. what game what kind of gave this more of its disco shine though is i think it's Giorgio Moroder really Georgia Moroder's music kind of dates it back to Donna Summer's hot stuff and all the Georgia Moroder. Yes, um, exactly. Okay. Because that happens again and then and against all odds, the movie. The same movie, the same kind of music. Yeah, Georgia Moroder again. Yeah. What is the time lapse here? Because it starts, and obviously they're making a point. It's the 19, Margarito Boatlift started in 1980. It's 1980. Jimmy Carter's uh, picture is on the wall in the interrogation room. Carter obviously lost the 1980 election, but wh- how much time does this, how much ground does this movie cover time-wise? Obviously, it must I'm end thinking, in the I'm thinking five years. No, Is I'm saying three years? years. You gotta say three years because that's, unless we're going into the future. We're not, no, but I mean, the, the, the vote the people started 1979 and 80. Okay, Reagan takes over what, 1980? 81. 81? January 81. of 81. Okay. Because the election but, was in 1980, so Carter. But the was but the president. film the but the film was being made in 1982, and right. it's released in 1983. Okay, okay, yeah. So, so, I, so I, I, I guess so we're assuming. Well, I was going back to the Cuban stuff. He wanted a time frame when this when this all yeah. started initially happening. So I'm saying that Tony Montana basically went up the scale within two to three years, and ended his life ended within uh, this three year span that we see him in the movie. Yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be the early 80s. So yes, a lot of stuff like it's the early 80s. So a lot of stuff from the 70s is still gonna be Yeah, you know, not so much. Too. It really disco really like the disco ball, the mirror ball, things like mm-hmm. that. 
really d- disappeared quickly after 1980. And then you had dance clubs. Yeah, yeah, dance clubs and stuff like that. But I was also thinking this is Miami, so maybe I don't know. I mean, but there's to be a honest, lot of salsa music, and I mean, those people they 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 love their music and they, they're brilliant, you know, dancers. So, I well, mean, I th- I think we also got. I mean, we got to remember two years prior to this, we do have Georgia Moroder coming off of "Call Me" with Blondie for American Gigolo. That's true. That's true. We did that soundtrack, wasn't he, at that time? So. And so I think, you know, I think that's probably why. And George Roder kind of gives this, this glossy. I mean, if you look at every film he's done, there's this glossiness to every film that he's soundtrack. American Gigolo is very glossy looking. Yeah. It's yeah. dirty film, but it's a very glossy looking dirty film. Starface is very glossy, but it's a dirty film. It's a glossy, dirty film. I'm surprised we haven't covered that one yet. That's a- well, Amer- American Gigolo just got remade as a series. Yeah, I watched some of it. Any good? I watched the first season, and it's really hard to see um, Richard Gere not being not part of that role. So it's after he gets out of prison. Okay. So and and you're kind of like kind of getting back into. Oh, so this isn't a remake. Then this is is this supposed to be a sequel? After after the a sequel, yeah. Oh, okay. So he I goes to prison and gets out. So then, so you don't really have Richard Gere. Um, I mean, the guy has a good body on him, I suppose, for someone who's been in prison for right. 30 some odd years. They work um, out, they read, they get educated. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, I mean, the only thing different is, is that you're not going to see Richard Gere Slong coming out because that we last time we saw that was an American America, officer and a gentleman. Before that, we see it in every single movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before he became legit, before he got his Oscar nomination, before he became legit. Yeah. So there's no, so no Richard Gere tallywhacker, you know, swapping around on the screen. So, but um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I guess it depends. I don't, I don't really like American Gigolo that much. I know it was, like, it was for me. It was, for, you know, personally for me. Um, I think Richard Gere is fine, but it's kind of like he he makes a lot of stupid choices, and he kind of yeah. deserves what he kind of gets because he's an idiot. Yeah. And it's kind of like, <laughs> and it's kind of a movie that it's kind of a movie that's more. I guess it's. It's more about the the subject matter is more interesting as a subject matter than this is watching it sort of thing. As far as characters making stupid decisions, I feel like we could say that about a lot of the movies we watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's kind of hard to watch a film about American Jiggle who sells his sex services to women and doesn't really have sex with anyone. <laughs> kind of just watching this film and just like. You know, it's a bit like let's do a film about porn, and what we'll do is basically is like, but we'll never show them going into a shoot. <laughs> we'll watch them going into work, or watch them leaving work, but we won't find out what it. But we're gonna film about porn. You know what I mean? But kind of like that. You know, it's kind of like okay, like conceptual. Um, yeah, let's you know, let's do a film about family, but we'll never see the parents coming home ever. <laughs> okay. Or have a bathroom in the Brady family. Yeah, precisely. No toilet. Yeah. No toilet. Well, that's because that's because they don't have any sexual parts in the Brady household. Yeah. <laughs> the Brady's they're all are sewn, all they're all sewn up like GI Joes and Barbies. I know that was the first thing. Well, everybody who's GI Joe dating Barbie. So yeah. well, that's why Alice looks so bloated all the time. <laughs> she couldn't go. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I so I think that um, with Georgia Moroder's soundtrack, I think it does kind. Of, as I said before, it does kind of give the film this kind of glossy look to a dirty lifestyle kind of thing and i think that's 
Well, this was I mean, a dirty that, lifestyle. I mean, it was a dirty oh, business. God. Another thing I find really weird, even when I saw the film originally and then rewatching it again, I didn't think that I thought everything that he decorated, like all this new money and all this, you know, all this powerful money and all that, didn't buy them any taste, did it? No, really, ta- everything's really tacky. It's like the furniture's tacky. You know, even the wallpaper, you know, like, you know, like um, Frank Lagosha's um, wallpaper is gone. You know, wallpaper oh my God, like, that fucking wallpaper. You know, the, you know, the basically a sunset, sunset or something. You know, and the last time I saw that sunset was when Fred and Rosemary West were taking all those um, girls into their basement and killing them. They had the same sunset <laughs> wallpaper in their basement. <laughs> So it's like okay, and and like even like even like the bathtub is like you know he's like they're laying in this that bathtub. bathtub. Like, what if that's a bathtub, man? Now that's my idea of a bathtub. But, but I look at it. But I look at it like, why would you want that? Why would yeah, you want, I would that? want that big? But that's like that's what she says though. Nothing exceeds like excess, and she was right. Mm. That nailed the whole movie. That one statement. Could you See, think the way? Do you think this movie could be made today? Because, you know, you got, what was it, the guy, was it Salsa? Talking to Tony, he goes, I told you, don't fuck me, you little monkey. <laughs> you know, and also, this is the... the well, I, I think he I think he probably would, he probably could remake this, but you probably, um, I'm not, I oh, mean, to be honest, you, well, you'd have to use um, the... You would be you talking to, monkey. You're well, no, well, what I'm saying is that, first of all, your, <laughs> acti- your actors, if you're, all your actors would have to be Cuban actors. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and all, you know, and everyone have to play the right um the right nationality. But another thing is is that I think it would have a grittier look to it if you remade it. It's going to look darker and grittier. It's not going to it's not going to look like this. It's going to be I wonder if there's somebody out there that wants to. I'm sure It's going to be but, but, but well, we talk. we kind of still do this though. Breaking Bad is the story. Right. Yeah. You know, if you and if you look at, um, you know, um, what's the other, what's the other? If you look at the Shield, is pretty much the story as well. I mean, I we've seen any of that, no. but we, you know, or the other one. Um, uh, what's the other crime one that had the drug lords in it and stuff like this that won a lot of awards was on HBO. Oh, Sabrina. Wire. The Wire. The Sopranos, another one. It's like, so if you look at it, you know, this, this is basically the Scarface story being retold, but retold yeah, in the right 90s and, and 90s and the millennial and sort of thing. But it's going to have a darker, a darker, it's not going to look so glossy. Well, it's, it's also going to look like shit. It's, it's, we, we forgot how to light movies now. We don't yeah. remember how to light movies anymore. Um, but... But it probably had more of a documentary type style to it anyway. That's why we, that's probably that's what we're kind of doing now with film sort of thing. We well, kind of got this cheaper. kind of it's cheaper. We started doing digital video and it's cheaper and it doesn't look as good, but no, it doesn't it cost it costs the studio less. There was talk a couple of years ago of somebody because everybody was up in arms on Facebook going, I can't believe they're gonna remake Scarface. I'm like, the version you're talking about is a remake, you yeah. moron. But the, but like five years ago, there were people up in arms because somebody was going to do Scarface again. And I'm like, okay. Hey, go ahead. We'll see what you got. I mean, you're not going to top. You're not going to top Howard Hawks. And you're not going to top, top Brian De Palma. So no. what's the point? You're not going to do what it you're anymore. Put your spin, some up and coming. Unless, unless, spin on it, you know? Well, unless they get someone like David Fincher or someone like that to do something with it. But I don't think David Fincher would touch it. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't think Fincher would do it, though. Mm. You know? Uh, 
I got that a feeling would be an could... enormous undertaking, and you'd be under it's a lot of pressure to really produce. So. To be honest, I think if Scarface is going to be remade anyway, we probably would deal with a probably African American story. Possibly, yeah, I could see where that. I could see that. I could see that you go from Italian to Cuban, and now the new version would be African American. I, I could see, see that. that. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. The, 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 the connective tissue could be it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. And, well, yeah. and I, I imagine that the story, the story would probably take place in like L.A. or something like that. But I don't know about you guys. I love Al Pacino. Always been one of my favorite actors. But I just didn't see him as Cuban in this movie. He goes, I didn't see anyone as Cuban. I didn't see anyone as even Stephen Bauer, who's Cuban. I didn't see him as Cuban in this movie. When you're sitting here with an Hispanic watching this, it takes on a whole new life, you know. And it's funny because they point (laughs) shit out, and it's just like, oh my god. Put a catch a mouth shut. They would have thought you was a horse. Yeah, Mm. yeah. But he goes, he goes, Pacino. He's no Mexican. He goes, I go. He's not supposed to be. He's Cuban. He goes, he ain't no Cuban either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like. I mean, but to be honest, I mean, this is, I said before, nobody is the right nationality in the film anyway. It's, it's yeah. even worse in Carlito's way. When you see Al Pacino in Carlito's way, he's completely white. Like, there's <laughs> nothing. It's, he just sounds like just a fast-talking kid from Brooklyn. You know, there's mm. nothing about, uh, there's nothing about Al Pacino. Well, what about Sean right? Penn's afro? <laughs> God. He's playing, he's playing a Jew, he's playing a Jewish person. It's like, okay. The most How did they the even come to cast him in that role? I mean, I'm not even trying to be mean. I, I mean, you're, if you're asking me anything about Sean Penn, I'm, you're, I'm, I don't, I don't see the greatness there. I've always, I've, I've always kind of. He made one movie that I liked him in, and I think Fast that Times was, at Richmond High. <laughs> the last, the one, no, I loved him in that, but he made a movie with, uh, oh my god, what's his name? But, at close range, yeah, with uh, Christopher Walken. That movie, I really, I love that movie. Don't ask me why. I just, love I don't that. know. I just find that once you sleep with Madonna, you kind of lose all street cred. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but she know, used like, to I love, be okay. I love. I love. Go- okay. No, I'm sorry. She I used to love every- the Material Girl. She's a bit foobar now. I'm not talking about her. Then. I'm just talking about people who slept with her tend to lose their career afterwards. Sean Penn <laughs> kind of lost his street cred. You know, Warren Beatty kind of lost it after Dick Tracy. Um, I'm like taking a picture with the Foo Fighters, yeah. <laughs> or or um, Guy Ritchie, one of our most promising British directors, marries her and is like, oh, what has he done since? Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey. Yeah, Ooh. true. Maybe she's, she's but, a brow beating. But War- Warren Beatty. Her, her vagina is cursed. Any, anyone who enters it comes out cursed. It's got teeth. It's got teeth. <laughs> But Warren Beatty, though, if we want, like this, because only because he's he's relevant right now. Because he, I love that this man is so petty. <laughs> I love how petty he is in real life. He got the rights to Dick Tracy in 1990. The movie did really well financially. Yeah. So I, do, I never understood why. I kind of liked never, it. It was it he was wanted to make boring. a sequel. He wanted to make a sequel, but it never got made. But because he owned the rights to it and he doesn't want to give them up, every like 20 years, he makes some weird TCM special where like just just so he could say, I made a sequel to this. And there's no budget. There's nothing to it. Just so he could hold on the rights. 
and he did it again last week. The fucking property, Dick Tracy goes into public domain in like three, four years. So there's no point in doing this, except I'm going to hold on to it just to spite everybody. So if he does this, if he does this, he gets to hold on to the rights and it doesn't public domain. Yeah, that's the reason. That's the reason why all those bad Hellraiser sequels. Yeah. No, really? Yeah. They get what they get. What they do with the Hellraiser sequels is basically they get a script for something else. Right. We need to do Hellraiser because we're going to lose the rights. So what they do is they turn it into a Hellraiser sequel. So that's why when you watch these Hellraiser sequels, they don't mean anything because they just change them to a Hellraiser. And it has nothing yeah. to do with Hellraiser. So like Hellraiser 2 right after the immediate. No, no, no. no the, not the two. two. No, we're four. talking about after the third one. Okay. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Three, we're yeah. all like is that connected. sort of like the same with Phantasm then? No. No, Phantasm no, Phantasm's owned by the guy anyway. It's still um, the same person. Yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. But he just ended up with lesser, lesser budgets. That's all. Okay. Well, (laughs) Ryan Corman infamously in 1994, uh, because he didn't want to lose the rights to the Fantastic Four, made a quickie Fantastic Four movie that he had no intention of releasing. That's all they have to do. Just so he could say, no, it's still a viable product. I still am doing something with it. It's basically, I don't want you to play with my toys. I'm playing with them now. You see, I'm playing with them now. You can't play. Oh, with the I wall didn't wall know wall. that. How interesting! Which that, might that's... be what's what's they might what's they're now saying that might be the reason why the Batgirl movie is never going to be released. They're, they said that the, maybe the character was owned by Warner had the copyright. Is that what the, the problem copy... is with it? Because I there, there, there there's question about that. That because if you look at Bat, Bat, Batgirl, there's no real stars in it, is there? No. Uh, Brendan Fraser would be the only one. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't know that he was going to make a comeback, did they? No, that's true. You know, at that point, he was like pretty cheap to hire. Was that his, <laughs> his comeback movie? Was the whale right? That's the well, big one. Yeah, it would have been it would have been Batgirl if it got released. <laughs> oh, really? Did not know that. Yeah. I was wondering where but, it was. So, so there oh, is talk that the Batgirl could be Warner could have been losing the rights in order to save it. They made this quickie movie that they're never going to release, which which would be a shame. I'm mildly intrigued. It would be a real shame if somebody who has access to that file were to accidentally upload it somewhere and accidentally release it. That would be a real shame, guys. That would never happen. Hopefully, that never happens. That would never happen. It's never happened. No. Film piracy is bad. Totally bad and has never saved cinema. We do not advocate film piracy on this show. Not at all. Not at all. I'm not saying fuck Warner Brothers. Somebody released the file. No. In fact, I'm saying do don't it. do that. Just do it. <laughs> oh, don't. Um, I have all these films on my um on my cloud. No, I'll, I'll make sure I send you the password later for those. Okay. <laughs> uh, Oops. Yeah. Um. Another thing I find a bit boggling about Scarface the movie is that how it became. I mean, I have to blame it for a lot of things. First of all, MTV in the from between 1990 to, to 2010 with um with Cribs. Oh yeah, <laughs> this, I've never rapper. seen so many badly decorated homes of people because of this movie Scarface. Thanks. It's like they oh, I mean, because all their homes are like 
like replicate like the Scarface right. interiors. Like if you watch it, red and black. It was gaudy. It was really gaudy. Yeah, it's like it, it, it really encouraged bad bad interior design choices for like for like twenty. <laughs> I never thought years. of that, but I guess that could. Honestly, yeah. I think all that does this movie such a disservice because mm. they so overhype it that it's yeah. it's become a parody of itself almost when you watch it now. Um, and, and, and I mean, just the effect on pop culture in general with all the parodies, because right. I mean, it's been parodied on everything from The Simpsons to Family Guy. You have Homer Simpson with the sugar thing. First you get the sugar, then you get the money, yeah. then you get the women. Well, even um, we even got it in Grand Theft Auto and um, yeah. Vice City. Oh, Grand Theft Auto is oh, yes. excellent. From the Palma movies. <laughs> And then we had like, I remember, um, I remember the DLC, Gay Tony. Oh, the Ballad of Gay Tony. I remember that. But yeah, if, if, if Brian De Palma never made any movies, Grand Theft Auto would not exist because it wouldn't have anywhere to steal ideas from. Yeah. Wow. So, but yeah, I mean, so I I was, always... when I was watching Carlito's Way, the, the, right at the beginning, when his nephew is driving him to where he's going to make the drug deal at the beginning of the movie, he's driving the kind of car that the Hispanic gangsters in um, Grand Theft Auto 3 are driving into a neighborhood in Brooklyn that looks suspiciously like that neighborhood. So but even are they Carlino's killing prostitutes? It's, it's, if <laughs> that's, what, Palmer, that's what I do in Grand Theft Auto. I pick up prostitutes, I pay them, have sex with them, then kill them, get my money back. <laughs> the Jack the Ripper method. <laughs> yes, that's what you do in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> that, that's not and you, get, you get extra health as well. Yes. I just about died. Yeah, you could go to 125% health. Yeah. I bought my son that game. Tim, when when Justin was alive, I bought him that game when he was like 10. I had no fucking idea about Grand Theft Auto. He just goes, Mom, I got to have this game. No. There you go. I I was a bad mother. I'm not I'm not saying Grand Theft Auto ripped off Brian De Palma movies. I'm just saying that motherfucker better be getting a check. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> everything in these movies, everything in these video games, straight out of a De Palma movie. That's funny. Do you think that um, <laughs> but it's kind of funny I guess what I'm saying about Scarface and, and pop culture is that I think that Brian De Palma made this film as like a tongue-in-cheek situation about this is you know the, the power and greed and now and, and the tackiness behind it all. But it's kind of funny how society has turned it to emulate the tackiness. Like this is one fantastic, this is wonderfully fun. Like they missed the joke. And that's yeah, what sometimes I think this happened. They like, missed the joke that basically this is not something to admire to and to this doesn't sell success this this shows tackiness so so watching this i feel like you know a person whose family came off the mayflower here i am generations after generations later as old money looking at the new money and that's kind of how i kind of look at scarface (laughs) yeah the godfather is the old money version and scarface Mm. is the new money version but you gotta admit that is kind of a funny analogy though it's just like what the fuck is this yeah (laughs) the thing is is another thing that you'll find is um weird is that Godfather through the violence and even even um and even through the original Scarface that there is a loyalty that you have to your family and to the people behind you unless they betray you. The thing about Scarface is that he he's not loyal to anyone no. at all. He's only not loyal even to his himself. Best friend, who he shoots, you know, but because- he expects everybody to be loyal to him though. Yeah. Precisely. 
And if you look at I me, mean, but if but, but the thing is, this tells you what kind of character he is anyway. Because I mean, if you look at basically why he's in the um, the prison or the holding cell for you know refugees, you know, and he il- illustrates the killing of the person so he can get his um, neutral naturalization picked. He's not the one who does the killing. He gets his friend to do the killing for him. No, he did it. Oh, yeah. He stabs the killing? guy. Yeah, he stabs him. Oh, yeah, Tony stabs him. Oh, does Tony stab him? Walking through the door, uh, yeah. he runs up. And stabs okay, him. okay. Because I remember the they, they call that place Freedom Town. But it, but it was but it was Stephen Bauer who brought the the idea to him. So maybe right. that's where you're getting a little. Uh, no, Stephen I Bauer, thought that the guy, but what? But the guy also who did the um, who got who got who's the one who gets. Butchered in the shower, in the shower, in the bathtub. Yeah, right. he's, yeah, he's with him too. He's he's with him, him too. Him That's and Stephen Bauer. Him and Stephen Bauer are kind of like stalking him, getting him to yeah. go through the door. Okay, so that's that, that's what I'm getting. That he can get so, so basically, it's like you know, you got the three musketeers, but then when he then when you get Al Pacino and he does his first job, he sells out his friend. Yeah, he sells out his friend. Yeah, he he lets him get chainsawed. Yeah. He gets into that chainsaw and he doesn't, I and mean, he can tell that he's not upset. He's not even upset by it. He's just staring coldly at the, with the situation. He's not like, oh my, that he's was not, his eyes are not. one of the coldest, most brutal things I've ever seen on any film. And I mean, if, if you didn't really actually see the chainsaw doing its thing, but it kind of gave you something to your imagination. But I mean, but I mean, but also at that at, point, what is he going to do? He's chained up like yeah, this. Yeah, he can't really no, do but what, but No, but what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying though, if you look at, if you look at his face, and normally what you'll see is it's like when they when he and the thing is you you know you get the chainsaw going on, you get the camera going out, you got right. the camera coming back in, you basically got then you get a close-up of um Tony Montoya's eyes or Al Pacino's eyes, and there's not fear in him whatsoever. There is a coldness there. He's like, like a shark. He looks like a great white. They don't they're lifeless in their eyes as well. And that, I mean, te- that's and, that and that and that tell and that pretty much tells you that you know and and then that pretty much tells you what kind of character is and then the only other time and this is this is the only problem i have with this scarf the, the al pacino scarface is that there's no humanity at all none because because even even when he goes and i mean i don't know this is the way it's filmed um but even when he goes to his mother and goes oh look mom i made it sort of thing it's right. like you know and she's like you know you know and then you know the mom's going a oh, boy like that to kill your brother. You know, you know, shouldn't do that. But it's kind of like kind of has that kind of feel to it. And the thing is, is like it's not like he's gone there to help save his mother or protect his sister. Is there? I'm here to show off. I'm here to show off that I have yeah. made it. Ha ha that ha ha ha. Fuck you. On. You said I'd never do yeah. it. Blah blah blah. Two fingers up, sort of thing. And then he kind of leaves. Well, they they got that <laughs> macho I, thing going on. I used to hang out. Well. With but if you even but even even with his sister's hairdressing business, that he's using that as a tax shelter to put it the the laundry his money. So it wasn't for her; it's for him. Yeah, he needed a business to put the thing. So, so that and that's where I think that with this one, we kind of we kind he doesn't have any morals outside of himself. Really, he's not, not really. he's not dedicated or feels for anybody. And even when his d- sister dies, you don't really get that realization that you do in the original, where you get the realization like, oh, my sister's dead. So because what happens? He dies. He just does a bunch of coke, and then we have basically well, you know, he's insane on coke. Alibaba I mean, he's and, the, so and the forty wired. thieves coming in. 
I mean, his senses have to be so numbed down by doing that much cocaine. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I'm saying that his senses were dumbed down at well, the very first time yeah, I've he, seen him. Well, he in, has in, no, he has no feelings. He has no empathy. There's nothing there's about no him. In the original, murder. though, in the original, <laughs> though, Tony is at the window, and his sister gets shot. He still has that protective layer because he's up in a window upstairs. Right. So he has a second before he picks up the gun and goes after him because he has like a little bit of a shield. Tony in 1983 doesn't have that. These people are in the house already and they are killing, uh, you know, they are shooting. I think that guy was already, yeah, that guy was already in because that guy came in through the window behind them. The one that killed him with a shotgun? No, he shot, wait, was it a machine? No, it was a machine gun, wasn't it? No, the guy, they're shooting him up, but he's Oh no, I'm talking about when, when the sister gets killed. I'm talking about when the sister gets because that guy's coming no, in through yeah, the window behind they, him because she's shooting at him. And that and wait, no, it came from behind him, the chair, I think. Behind the chair. But the thing is, though, I but even like when he shoots his best friend and he drags his sister back to the house, there is no yeah. feeling, there's no feeling that base there's no I'm just saying there's no humanity about yeah. Paul Muni, Paul Muni is upset because I didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know. There's that yeah. there's that whole thing. I didn't realize he had married her and made an honest woman of her. I just thought he was just screwing my sister. Precisely. So yeah, the Paul version, yeah, yeah, you got so me. So I'm that. saying that so I'm saying that with the, the, with this scarface, um Tony has no humanity about him whatsoever. And there's not one hum- humanity moment with this scarface at all. And that's and it's and it, that's why it's and this film's kind of weird because you kind of watch the film but you, but it kind of you're kind of removed from the film so you're kind of just watching it play out in front of you but you're not emo I'm, for me I'm never emotionally engaged in this film I kind of watch it like you know like I like I'm protected like there's this, like a like behind a wall sort of thing and I'm watching it and I and I have to sit there and say that that's probably my only downfall with this Tony and maybe that's a good thing but I also find it weird that a lot of people have hailed this movie you know as for what it is for culturally because at the moment there's there's not one saving grace about tony's character whatsoever that i not can in this find. version no well not except he version. refuses to kill he refuses to kill the wife and kids that's the only time well and that yeah but and and i have to sit there and say i and i know that brings his downfall and that there's a reason behind that but that did seem fake that reasoning behind that, you know what I'm saying? It didn't seem yes. that's you the only part like it of the movie. Fit the character coming up until that point. <clears throat> yeah, that's the only part that for me the whole film falls a bit fake on is when he doesn't want to kill the wife and kids. Uh, I like I he was okay about killing everyone else. So why now? <laughs> yeah, but even the most hardcore, you know, criminals, you know, they'll they'll fuck up a pedophile in prison. They just don't like anything to do with kids. So I can see a hardcore criminal not wanting to kill children. But what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying with Tony, when you're watching Tony all the way through, there's no humanity in Tony whatsoever. No, except that one part. There's no empathy. Well, there's that one part, which, but I'm saying when you're watching the film, it feels kind of out of place, really. It's like, what? A little bit. A little bit. I kind of wish that he, that was, I understand why it happened. That was his downfall, not killing those kids. Yeah, oddly enough, the one time he shows humanity is when he gets killed. Mm hmm. Because that was the turning point. Because after that, it was gloves were off, and everybody's yeah. coming to kill him. They didn't waste any time sending an army. So, mm. 
So, well, but yeah, I, I guess the passage of time is there either because that was that was super fast afterwards. But I mean, honestly, though, the uh, yeah, go ahead, Keith, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna sit there and say. So I guess in this version, I guess for my tone for the Tony, and I do like this film a lot. I'm you know I'm gonna give it a you know. I, but I had to sit there and say I have no I, I had no feeling or emotion when I watch it. It's like I I'm, I just kind of like I just kind of watch it, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, I kind of grimace a little bit at some of the violence, like like the chainsaw. I, that's the only time I grimace like like that. But the rest of it, I mean, I, I quite I quite like you know F Mary Abraham being thrown out of the thingy but i didn't feel anything for omar being thrown out of the helicopter or even even when tony dies at the end i don't feel anything for it i, I look at like it's like watching like a huge you know you know a huge finale and then walking away going okay it's like well that was done well but i didn't feel i didn't i wasn't i wasn't upset that he died no I you, you kind of get a little numb towards the end yeah yeah, I feel numb through Tony. I feel numb towards Tony through the whole film. I don't feel anything for him, for me personally. Which well, I find, he's not a nice person. Yeah, and I'm kind of just kind of wish that. And I do think that if there's some more, more of a weakness with the mom and sister element to it, and the sister would have been the key for the humanity to come through. And I think this is where Brian De Palma might have slightly missed the mark because the sister could have been used for Tony's humanity and used for the, Tony's empathy. Because even, I mean, even when he's slapping around and he's slapping her down the street like a redheaded stepchild, you know, it's <laughs> kind of going, well, that's a bit excessive. Yeah. 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 So. so I guess what we should do is now rate Scarface from 1983, starting with you, Joe. Well, how many how many machine guns do you give Scarface from 1983? I give this one four. Um, there, I, like Keith said, I, you know, you don't really connect mm -hmm. with, uh, connect, like, I, I don't find anything to connect with the character about, um, it's a great film to show the rise and fall of a gangster. Right. Um, the filmmaking is phenomenal. I mean, this is De Palma, maybe not his peak. Cause I think maybe his peak was maybe dressed to kill and blowout. Right. Um, so I don't think this is as good as dressed to kill or blowout. Um, but it's it's still a solid movie. It's still De Palma, you know, when he was at, you know, the, the, that, that cycle where he was at his best, which was around this time. Um, I do really like, I mean, it sticks to the original story. Like, like we were saying earlier, right. Beat for beat. It's still the same story. And like I was saying about the other one, the other one doesn't really have any time to breathe because it just, it's 93 minutes and it's just bang, 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 bang. And, you know, plot point, plot point, pop. This one, takes its time a little more maybe a little too much uh i don't know uh, I, I i enjoy it for what it is i don't know if it needed to be three hours we probably could have cut about 20 minutes out of it and had a still had a fantastic movie probably a little more of a tight movie um i like that De palma escalated the violence above what we would see in a gangster film during this time period um, much like the 32 version did. Uh, we get all kinds of new guns and all kinds of torture devices oh. to use on people at that point. Oh, so. yeah. He he also the, the the other thing about De Palma, you know, Keith, Keith mentioned uh, a, a lot of the, the the filmmaking style similar to Hitchcock. 
It's also similar to Dario Argento, where you know you you have him going out and around the house, the camera movement like that. That um, De Palma, and it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm you know like you guys, I thought maybe the, the woman on the bed was an older actress who had been in like some other movies. Eighteen, though, of, what? Crazy. Yeah, I know. He's one of those guys that he's kind he's kind of like in that Scorsese Tarantino level of just loving movies. Yeah, where like you can see the influences of everything that he liked up until this point coming out in this movie. Uh, obviously Scarface, uh, Italian, um, Italian gangster movies, like the ones Umberto Lenzi uh, made in, in Italy, like a decade before this. Uh, you have a little bit of the giallo element uh, in there with some of the Argento like camera movements. So De Palma is he's a student of film and that's why I maybe I gravitate towards his film so much. Um, this one, one of his better movies, not his best. And I don't think it's as good as the 32 original because the 32 original just has something to it. It does. I, I can't connect to it as well here. And I love Al Pacino in this. I love how over the top he is. I love his flamboyance. Everything about it. Um, I'm going to give it, you know, I'm going to go four and a half because it's still a great movie. Um, I think it is better than a four, four, four machine guns, maybe four and a half machine guns, but not, not <clears throat> five like the original. What about yourself, David? <clears throat> um, I actually would give it like a 10 stars out of five. <laughs> I, I just really, love really, 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 really I love right. how he loves this movie. He doesn't like violence or, or gross <laughs> stuff, and he loves this movie, okay? Um, That's full no, of violence <clears throat> and gross stuff. It's full of <laughs> no. violence and gross stuff. <laughs> But there, but there is something to be said about that. When it, when it, when it's great storytelling, it's, it's going to transcend, that. you know, things you don't like. Like you know, there, there's people yeah. who, who tell me, "Oh, I I don't like westerns." Well, have you seen one? You know, you need you, yeah. yeah. If it's a well made, you know, if it's a well made western, a well made uh, gangster film, a well made whatever, the, if the storytelling's tight, you're gonna like it. Uh, but it's not only that. I in a position <clears throat> of what Keith said. I extremely connect to the character. I think <clears throat> that what I see is a person who has lived with trauma. <clears throat> so he's got repressed trauma because he needs safety with power and money, etc. So he gets them, but then he doesn't know what to do because he's still going through trauma. Uh, he wants everything like American dreams and everything. So he gets, you know, the tacky bathtub and the paper wall the showing off to the mother, uh, the trophy wife he doesn't really love. <clears throat> there is like a, <clears throat> damn my voice, sorry. Uh, there's like a sort of um, complex of inferiority. So it gets that because he doesn't want to um, feel inferior to other people, to the rest of the American people, etc. And then he gets everything and then he gets the paranoia of losing everything. Um, for the part of not killing the wife and the kids, it's because he wants kids. So he feels the connection. He doesn't want to. He oh, doesn't want to kill point. the kids and the wife. Um, and that's his weak point because he's never going to get them. The wife doesn't love him anymore. Um, so the death. That is, is a actually, good point. I never saw that parallel before. Very good. His, his death is extremely poetic for me because it's like the rise and fall of a villainous, uh, someone who built everything on um, based on nothing really stable, good. based on like a conceptual idea or idealized what actually what's right for him it's like a sandcastle so right. it felt like a god but he's actually just a mortal so i love this it's an amazing concept just to show the 
all the villainous in the world are actually just people with problems, <laughs> with mental health problems or traumas, etc. I love that. All right. <laughs> what about yourself, Fix? What are your thoughts? Oh, this has always been one of my favorite movies. I give it five kilos. Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> it's violent. It's got great acting. It's 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 got and I, that parallel he just drew. I never even thought of that. That was really good. That was really intriguing that you said that. Next time I watch it, I'm going to keep that in mind, that, that one scene anyway. Because that really makes some sense to me now. Because I really wasn't getting it. And then you said that. And that gave me something to think about. But I, I just think it's always been, it's all since 1980s, it's always been my one of my favorite movies. It's always been a movie that the college, we watched that thing like crazy when that came out and be, you know, and VHS and stuff back then. But I, I just, I just love Pacino too in this. I, I like I said, I have to, he doesn't really look Cuban to me and me, but I can get past that. But uh, it's, I think it's a great movie, great acting. The script is still pretty tight. Kind of, except for, well, they elaborate a whole lot more in this movie, obviously. But you had to, you know, exceed the mark, I guess, on 1932. But it's like, like Michelle Pfeiffer says, you know, nothing exceeds like excess. And that's, that's this whole movie is excess and it representative of the 80s, an excessive decade, I might add. Yeah, and every, every character was also in the 32 original, I realized now, when I watched them back to back. Because Michelle Pfeiffer is poppy. You know, mm-hmm. the sister, obviously. Uh, Robert Loggia is the, the original gang boss. So Robert Loggia is not Cuban either. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Italian-American. No, he's, supposed to, he's, not, he's, not, he's not Cuban. He's supposed to be Colombian. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. funnier. <laughs> yeah. well, he's, he's not Colombian either. No. No, not in real life. You've got to watch this movie with an ethnic person of Hispanic background because it's even funnier when you do. Oh, my God. It's Rita, Mare- Rita Moreno and the um, and the people of 2020 onwards are going to be really upset with this movie. They watch it today. Yeah. Um, but um, me, I'm going to give this three and a half stars, actually. Three and a half. Wow. Three and a half from Keith. Um, okay. Now, the reason being is there's a lot I do like about it, but I have... I kind of watch it very because basically, and I think because Tony Montaya is such a stoic character, and there's there's no emotion that goes on with him, right. I find it really really hard to be totally invested in him. Right. And I kind of watch this film very very removed from it. For for me, it doesn't speak. And for me to like a movie, I have to actually have for me, I have to be very involved in a right. in a character and feel about them. And I do think that you know. I have been quite spoiled of late. So, because we're, we're, our, especially nowadays with like television and Netflix and, right. you know, HBO and so on and so forth, that we have these amoralistic characters who you start rooting for and you want them to make it, even though they're incomprehensible and they're horrible people, but you still have some kind of a moralistic center that you want to see them succeed. Where Tony, I kind of watch it from the beginning and just think, Okay, boat person, turn the drugs, life goes to shit. And I'm not supposed to feel bad because why? He kind of deserved everything that happens to him. I don't think you were supposed to feel bad for him. I just, no, the no, so thing is, I, I, I find a lack, I, for me, I find a lack of finding anything that I can remotely relate to. Right. Like, like, if he, like if he was soft with his sister and there's some tender moments with him and his sister, and to be honest, we had three hours that we could have developed something <laughs> off the slides. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, where, you know, there was some softness to a sister or some softness that, you know, a mother that didn't love him enough, not right. because of what he's done, but because or some kind of backstory that would kind of flushed him out a little bit more. But you right. kind of just, for me, just kind of have this character that kind of just thinks that everything he says and does is okay. And that, that, that and everyone has to pay for his sins. Right. And even, and even when he pays for his sins at the end, it's kind of like, it's like, it's, and, he, and he feels like he's been done wrong. He never takes responsibility for anything or has that flick moment of like, oh, I could have done something differently, but, I, but I'm on this course or anything. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what I kind of lack with, with this. And you kind of do, and you kind of do get this with Brian De Palma films anyway, that there is, you know, whether you're watching Obsession and Cliff Robertson's um, sexual relationship with his daughter or, right. <laughs> or Blowout or, you know, Dress to Kill or even Carrie kind of has. But I mean, Carrie's probably Brian De Palma's probably most emotional film for me. You think? Like, well, I mean, when you see Carrie going up to the thing is when you see Carrie going up to the to get her crown and you're thinking, oh, please don't please. What, maybe yeah, this is whole, yeah, it's true. Maybe this, true. maybe this time she'll turn around and turn around and this won't happen. Yeah, and you're hating for this to happen. And, and you know, but if but most of Brian De Palma films anyway, are, you're kind of like slightly removed obsession. You're slightly removed. Blowout. You're slightly removed from dress to kill. Um, and I'm a huge dress Brian to kill. I thought they all deserved to die in that movie. <laughs> um well even like but even you know but the thing is but you always but the but there's all what keeps you invested is there's always something likable because like in obsession Genevieve Bourgeois carries that movie because there's something so delicate and that you like about her even though even though she's playing this weird game about right. you know having sex with their dad and stuff which is kind of right. a weird game in itself you know just um just to kill you have nancy allen and keith gordon keith gordon's character and they keep you invested um you also have um nancy you, allen. you know and and then if you look at you know um you know chase you know raising cane you got john lithgow's character that's always a treat to see you have you know, blow blow out again, Nancy Allen, who's keeping you very invested, and John Travolta's keeping you kind of invested, even though John Travolta's moralistic compass is slightly elsewhere, even though he's trying to he's trying to do good, but he's kind of like throwing people against their will to dangerous territory. And, and you know, when he uses Nancy Allen's scream. Right. Yeah. In the movie, at the end, when he when he edits it into a movie, it kind of feels dirty. Mm. So yeah, Travolta is definitely a little off in that one. And I have to sit there and say that, and Blah is Blah is kind of the beginning of Brian De Palma's descent into being. For me, he becomes disenfranchised with films. I can see that. I can see that. Um, And he he becomes top himself all the time. Now well, he becomes that grand De Palma set piece all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the last time we get that is what Untouchables. Really, we kind of get that set piece in Untouchables in the um in the um, uh, train station. Uh, Snake Eyes. Snake, Snake Eyes, Eyes yeah. yeah. He's got that whole sequence in the beginning uh, where the assassination happens. And raising um, Cain with Levita Davidovich's dream sequence with the um the sundial. I recently saw Femme Fatale, and I don't remember that set that kind of set piece in Femme Fatale. Mm-hmm. And I but don't I think re- I don't remember one in Black Dahlia either. 
But when you hear Brian De Palma in interviews and stuff like this, he is very disenfranchised with society anyway, and the humans and stuff like this, and and it does and this and it does show in this you know from this film. So I guess that's the reason why. Though technically, on a technical front, I would give this film five. Technically, as a five, but as an enjoyability and the acting, I would give it a four. But for an overall enjoyability, I don't really enjoy this film that much. I give it three and a half for myself. It's funny because a friend of mine uh, the other day, I was talking to him while I was uh, while I was watching this, and then I was watching Carlito's Way. He also hadn't seen Carlito's Way in a while, and I thought he was talking about Carlito's Way initially, where he said, "I've seen it about a dozen times. I like it less every time." And I'm like, "I don't know. I'm I'm watching it now, and it's funny." He goes, "Oh no, I meant Scarface," and I'm like, "I." I've seen the movie like maybe three or four times. I haven't seen it a dozen times. So maybe it hasn't worn me out. Like it has other mm. people, but I, you know, I always thought it was a solid movie, not, you know, one of the like really great ones. Like I, like, I don't mm. think it's on, like, I think it's on that second tier. Cause you have like, you know, the Godfather, Goodfellas. Uh, and I always felt this was like kind of a second tier incidentally with the untouchables, which is also kind of a second tier gangster movie to me because I don't think they're as, they're as grand as those, but they still are very good. They're not like, you know, they're not like bottom of the barrel junk, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Brian De Palma fan. I have like every single one of his movies. I mean, I love casualty of war with Michael J. Fox. I like, you know, I like some, I like a lot of his films. There's some I read, but I do find that I tend to like his, pre-80s films more than I watched after that. He definitely peaks in like the late 70s, early 80s. And then Mm -hmm. after that, you know, Body Double's not as good. I still enjoy it, but it's not as good as... I still enjoy it, even though I think Craig Wasson's totally miscast and he looks too much like Robert Englund in it. (laughs) The the problem with Craig Wasson is he really can't carry a movie. No. Likeable enough, it seems... And I've never seen a movie with with him in it that I hate, but I just cannot like I can't see him as a leading man. No, he's better off in like a second supporting character role. Yeah, so. like Nightmare on Elm Street three, which yeah. you know I, I think he's great in that, but that's because the the weight of the movie isn't on him. No, it's on the children. It's on yeah, so. it's on Robert Englund, it's on Heather Langenkamp, it's on you know the the kids. So there's a whole bunch of people before we get to Craig Wasson. And you know, I yeah you know, like the guy enough, but yeah, I, I just don't think he carry money. Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License podcast. Our next make remake will be DOA from 1949 and DOA from 1988. Interestingly enough, the DOA from 1988 does star Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan, which will lead to their marriage. So that's something to look forward to. And of course, next week, our M&M will be M from 1931 by Fritz Lang and Badlands from 1980. No, it's 1970. 76? 75 76. or 76. 76. Well, all I know is Jodie Foster just came off the, uh, the little girl who lives down the lane. So... That would be close to you, you, 1973. Oh, so we're all fucked. Oh. Okay. We're only uh, human, yeah. guys. We're only human. <laughs> Sissy Spacek, before she would go on, planning to play Carrie. So. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> and of course, our book to screen will be To Kill a Mockingbird, and that will be by Harper Lee and the film, which is 1962. And of course, we'll be continuing our Doctor Who series, which is the Kia Moranis, and of course, Batman the Animated Series. So it says good night for myself. Good night, David. Hi, guys. Good night. good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Vix. Good night, everybody. And we'll see you next week for M from 1931 by Fritz Lang and Badlands from 1973. You want to tell me what this is all about? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying in chalk. I really hate the trip, but I gotta low. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke, fool I'm the kind of cheater, little homies wanna be like On my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light situation they got me facing i can't live a normal life i was raised by the state so i gotta be there with the hood team too much television watching got me chasing dreams i'm an educated fool with money on my mind got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye i'm a loped out gangster set tripping banker and my homies is down so don't arouse my anger fool death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away i'm living life do a die what can i say i'm 23 now but will i live to see 24 the way things is going i don't know After minute, hour after hour, everybody's running, but half of them ain't looking. It's going on in the kitchen, but I don't know what's cooking. They say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me. If they can't understand it, how can they reach me? I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front. That's why I know my life is out of luck, fool.